0: 18- Plus,
1: I know it's not the case, but I feel like it's rained for the past 25 days. I'm James Rapin in for Mo. This is ESPN 1530. A ton to get to between now and six o'clock. It's great to have you in. A lot of college hoops, a little NFL, a little combine, a lot, a lot, a lot of college basketball between now and six. In one hour, are you serious when it comes to Mick Cronin? We'll get to that in one hour. But we have to start, have to, have to, have to start with the Big East champs. The Xavier Musketeers clinched a share of the Big East championship yesterday, last night. They beat Providence senior night. Huge win for the Musketeers, who are now 26-4 and on the season. They win 84-74 over Providence. It was a hard-fought game. It was close at points. Xavier rushed out to a 21-8 lead. Then Providence cut it to three. Then Xavier went out, and uh, at at halftime, it was a three-point lead. And then after halftime, Xavier extended that lead, and it was never really in doubt. And Trayvon Blewett came out and showed out 23-6-2. And it was just a good night for the seniors. It was a good night for the team. It was a good night for Cincinnati hoops, for Cincinnati sports fans. Look, the Big East is one of the toughest conferences if not the toughest conference in the NCAA, in men's Division I basketball. And the fact that Xavier has clinched a share and is a win over to Paul away from winning it outright is huge. First time in Xavier history that they win the Big East. They do so, uh, or can do so, by winning uh, against Paul. like I said. So huge, huge, huge win for Chris Mack's squad. A, a lot to react to here. A lot to react to because, and we've talked about this on Cincy 360, talked about it some on here when Mo's hosting. League championships, heck, I talked about it yesterday. We, they're undervalued. It's official. Mick Cronin said it. The fact that, and if you saw the celebration after, and, and you can, there's so many pictures that, that you could see, whether you follow Pat Brennan or Shannon Russell or anyone that covers Xavier, you see that the emotion that goes into it. Heck, I asked Rocky Boyman uh, on Cincy 360 earlier today, just a couple hours ago, about league championships. I mean, that guy's played in GCL title games, He, you know, he, playing for GCL championships back when he was at St. X. Played for, obviously, the goal at Notre Dame, winning conference championships here uh, in the NFL when he was in the NFL. Same thing. Winning your conference, winning your league, winning your division, whatever the case may be, that's always goal one and Xavier accomplished that in one of the hardest leagues with one of the toughest schedules. And I don't know the next time they're going to have this kind of group, man, (laughs) this historic-type group with Trayvon Blewett and J.P. Makura and obviously Sean O'Mara, Karim Cantor. It's going to be tough, and I don't know what's going to happen in the tournament. I have no idea what's going to happen for Xavier in the tournament or UC in the tournament or NKU if they get to the tournament. I have no idea. I know I want them all to win. Want them all to advance. But I will say this about Xavier. That was a lot of fun yesterday. It was fun last night watching them celebrate. It was fun knowing when the game was decided and Trayvon Blewett knew he was going to the line. And then all of the fans were going to give him a a walk-off and a standing ovation for what he's done over the past four years for the fans, for the program. Second leading scorer in Xavier history. Stuff like that is awesome. That's why you enjoy college hoops, whether you're a Xavier fan or not. It's really cool to see moments like that. And so a lot of times we look ahead. A lot of times we look ahead to the the tournament or what seed our our team, our favorite team is going to be, all of that stuff. And I get it. And there's a place for that And, and certainly a discussion. And I've had those discussions and you do, and that's just part of being a college basketball fan. But yesterday, regardless of what happened, Xavier could get upset in round one, and good God, I hope to God that doesn't happen. But that still won't take away from what I watched yesterday. That won't take away from the feeling Xavier fans get and Chris Mack gets, and and they all get it when they and if they clinch an outright Big East championship. That's not going to change the banner that they'll put up because they're Big East champs in the CentOS Center. That's not going to change what Trayvon Blewett's done in his four years here in Cincinnati with Xavier so i I've felt great yesterday and hopefully you did too I'd love to hear from Xavier fans and college basketball fans if you watch 513-749-1530-866-702-3776 also on Twitter at James Rapine we're also going to get into uh, Sean Miller Arizona head coach we're going to get into that in 10 minutes because he issued a statement today talked to the media and uh, didn't answer questions I, I don't believe just answered a uh, issued a statement, and that's something that that I want you to hear you're going to want to hear it as well. Stay tuned for that coming up in about ten minutes but uh speaking of coaches let's hear from the head coach of the Xavier Musketeers because chris Mack not only is the he the winningest head coach of musketeer history not only is Xavier third in the country, number one in the big east twenty six and four but they sent their seniors out last night in style. Here's Chris Mack after the game.
2: Well, it goes without saying I'm really happy for uh, our entire group, but specifically the seniors. You know, they came in and, and uh, been a great group and a fun group to work with. And, you know, I think uh, it's hard. It's hard to do uh, what, what our team just did. And uh, we, we still want to finish the job. You know, we want to be better on Saturday than we were today. And, uh, and we're going to need to be. But... Um, when you play Ed's team, they're really—they're really, um, really gonna fight you. They're gonna play hard. They're gonna—they're gonna scrap. Uh, they're gonna claw. They're gonna figure out a way to make, to muddy the game up and and compete for 40 minutes. And, and we knew that, but you—you um, know, you, you, you feel that that pressure uh, of of wanting to get what you worked so hard for. So it's not gonna come easy, and, and it hasn't. So uh, I'm really happy for our seniors. It was really cool to watch those guys go up on the ladder and cut the nets and, you know, think back to when I recruited them and when they were in my office and, um, you know, to, to see them, you know, become Big East champions is something that they'll never forget. You know, when they're my age and I'm going to box somewhere eight feet under, six feet under, they'll, uh, they'll always be able to, to, to think back to not only tonight, but all the memories they had playing with a great group of guys. And like I said to them, we, we got a lot more to do. Uh, We had a great team a couple years ago and ended quickly, so uh, I don't want anybody to think that you know we're we're by any means satisfied.
1: That's Chris Mack after the game, and that's the the last part I love the most too. It was funny he made the joke he's going to be six feet under. Awesome, and that's right. That shows the importance of league championships. By the way, super important. Like think back, when did have you ever won a championship? Like in anything, in anything. It could be science science fair it could be league title and elementary school seventh grade junior high high school you think back you're like man we were really good that was so much fun Xavier did that in arguably the best conference in, in college basketball so hell yeah they're going to look back and remember that NKU they're going to look back and remember the Horizon League championship if UC does what I hope they do tonight against Tulane and then on Sunday against Wichita State well then they're going to think back and be like, man, remember when we won the American League Conference? American Athletic Conference, rather. The League Championship. That's what they're going to think about. So, yes, League Championships matter. Conference Championships, titles, whatever you want to call them. They matter. And I hope they're not done as far as Xavier and what Chris Mack said there at the end. Because how fun would it be? I don't know the next time Xavier's going to be this good. They're in a really good conference in the Big East. Villanova is not going anywhere, nowhere. They might be on their way to being the best program in the country for a while. And I know that sounds crazy when you have Duke and and all those you know, Duke and North Carolina and all the main states. But Villanova, they're built for for a while. It feels that way. It feels like they're they're not going anywhere in the Big East Conference. But as far as Xavier, I don't know. I don't know what Chris Mack's future is. No idea. I know that success, usually success brings opportunity. And he's the most winning, he's the winningest head coach in Xavier history, and he has the best team he's ever had probably this year. Could they go to the Final Four? I hope so. I hope they do. Could they do things that they've never done in program history? Yes, because I don't know the next time that Xavier's going to have a team this good with an NBA talent like Trayvon Blewett, with seniors that have been there for four years and paid their dues like Sean O'Mara. Like J.P. McCura, who's the perfect heel, but he also does all the hustle stuff that you ask for, that fans ask for, that coaches ask for. And if you are a fan of Xavier and you don't know the next time that you're going to get a team this good, you want to take advantage of it while you got it. I think they got it this year. I think the time is now, if you're Xavier, to catch him. By the way, Quentin Gooden, really, really good. That dude yesterday, I mean, he shot 70% from the field. He's taking care of the ball. Uh, I don't know, man. He's he's rising. So they're in good hands there. He'll be a junior next year. Najee Marshall, I like him. He didn't play great yesterday, but but I like him as, as a freshman. So they have some pieces. Paul Scruggs, I think they're good at the guard spots. But uh, it'll be interesting to see the future. But I'm really, really excited for the next month or so. For Xavier, for UC as well, which we'll get into. Chad Brendel coming up at 340. Talk a little more UC as well coming up at 3.30. But, yeah, Xavier, excited. Congrats to Coach Matt. Congrats to the Xavier basketball program. Biggies, champs, get your calls at 513-749-1530, 866-702-3776. But let's continue the college basketball conversation. But let's switch gears slightly. From local to national to Sean Miller to the FBI probe, to the statement he issued less than an hour ago. You'll hear Sean Miller, Arizona head coach, what he had to say about the ESPN report that says he was aware of $100,000 exchanging hands to get top prospect DeAndre Ayton. That's next. I'm James Rapine, in for Mo. This is ESPN 1530. It's 319. I'm James Rapine, in for This is ESPN 1530, a ton on the blog at ESPN1530.com including my off-season plan for the Bengals every single episode of Cincy 360. If you missed it, it's there, podcast. Yesterday's show podcasted for you. And so much more there uh, on the iHeartRadio app as well. Great to have you in on a Thursday, a gloomy Thursday, at least here uh, in the Tri-State. And uh, I'm looking at Kenwood, 71 moving all right uh, here at the, the Kenwood Towers. But uh, there's, there's my traffic update. 71 looks fine from here. But uh, as far as the rain goes, I'm tired of it, man. Can it be sunny? I mean, there's clouds rolling by right now. Sun. I want some sun in my life. Uh, Sean Miller's probably had a gloomy past couple of days. ESPN issued a report uh, about the Arizona head coach that he knowingly was caught on the phone talking about wiring $100,000 or getting a $100,000 payment to one of his top recruits that uh, is now currently playing for the Wildcats, DeAndre Ayton. And Miller issued a statement. He hasn't coached the team. He will coach tonight. He will coach the Wildcats tonight. And here's what Miller had to say. He issued this statement in front of reporters about, oh, 45 minutes ago. Here's Arizona head coach, Sean Miller.
3: I have never paid a recruiter prospect or their family or representative to come to Arizona. I never have and I never will. I have never arranged or directed payment or any improper benefits to a recruit or prospect or their family or representative, and I never will. I also understand that there is an ongoing federal investigation, and because of this, I cannot do anything that might compromise the integrity of this investigation. However, on this point, I cannot remain silent in light of media reports that have impugned the reputation of me the university insullied the name of a tremendous young man, DeAndre Ayton. Let me be very, very clear. I have never discussed with Christian Dawkins paying DeAndre Ayton to attend the University of Arizona. In fact, I never even met or spoke to Christian Dawkins until after DeAndre publicly announced that he was coming to our school. Any reporting to the contrary is inaccurate, false, and defamatory. I'm outraged by the media statements that have been made and the acceptance by many that these statements were true. There was no such conversation. That's
1: Sean Miller. Completely denies it. And if you think back to... And and I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. Hell, who knows? Who knows if he's telling the truth? But yesterday... On Cincy 360, airs every single day noon to one here on ESPN 1530. I opened the show, and I said, man, all of this stuff is going back and forth and all around in college hoops, and I don't know what the hell to make of it. But here's what I do know. Some of it's going to be true. Other stuff is going to come out. It's going to be false. There's going to be uh, a misquote here. ESPN's already offered multiple retractions on what they reported on Miller prior to his statement today about that report on the dates, the timeline, etc. We're in uncharted territory with college basketball and this FBI probe. Uncharted waters, unprecedented, whatever you want to say, that's what we're at. So I don't, I'm not going to be the first to react to any of it. <laughs> because usually, in, in, in this territory, I don't I have no idea. I don't know if he did it or not. I don't know if the allegations are true. There's going to be a lot more. I think we're just scratching the surface here on, because if the FBI spent that much time with Sean Miller, imagine what else they're looking into. And with that said, we just have to wait and see. I'm taking a wait and see approach with this. So many people reacted, and you heard Sean Miller there. So many people reacted. Imagine if he was innocent. I'm not saying he is. Imagine if he was. And he had some of the, the biggest college basketball media analysts out there ripping him on Saturday night because of a report. The biggest, there was. I think Jay Billis commented, and there was others that said they were really disappointed and they couldn't believe it, and Miller's career should be done. And imagine if that was you, and you didn't know it, or you weren't aware of it, or no payment was even even happened, and you completely deny it. Which, by the way, DeAndre Ayton denies it, the player, and so does, um, so does Sean Miller. So if everyone's in denial, we don't have proof. Well, now I'm in a wait-and-see approach, and I think that's just the best way to approach this entire thing. He's going to coach tonight against Stanford, according to ESPN's Jeff Goodman. You don't think Arizona, the school, isn't looking at in a, There was a report that Sean Miller's lawyers met with Arizona, et cetera, et cetera. If they thought that this happened, they, are they letting him coach? If they thought that the evidence was there, Are they letting him coach tonight? I think the answer would be no. I think. Don't know that for sure. But it's just interesting. This college hoops thing, and I'll get into this with Chad Brendel, Bearcat Journal. Can't wait to ask him about it coming up in uh, about 15 minutes. Because college hoops... We could talk about pay players, don't pay players. Maybe they should be in control of their likeness and be able to sell and and, and populate themselves and, and take advantage of that. That's fine. We could go back and forth on that all day long. But I don't know if any of this stuff is true, if any of it's false, if it's in the middle. Usually it's in the middle. Usually when there's smoke, there's fire. Usually you have one extreme, the other. One says I never did anything. The other side says they've done everything. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Usually that's where the truth is. But I have no idea. So my rule for this and maybe you look at it differently, and if you do, that's fine. But my rule for this is I'm going to wait and react once I get all of the information. Because right now I don't think we're getting it all. I think that's fair to say. What are your thoughts on it? 513 749 Also on Twitter, at James Rapine. We'll get into some Bengals as well. We did a lot of Bengals on Cincy 360. Here from Bengals Director of Player Personnel, Duke Tobin, next- hour. We'll do a little Reds next hour as well. Little Mick Cronin coming up at 4.04 because I think it's insane. There's something that, that someone emailed Lance and he put it up on his blog at ESPN1530.com. And I read it and I was shocked to be honest. And I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. So I'm going to ask you to help me do that coming up. At 4.04. Chad Brendel, Bearcat Journal, coming up in 15 minutes. But up next, let's switch gears. We've done Xavier. We've done some national college hoops. How about we talk about the Bearcats? I'll do that next. I'm James Erpine. This is ESPN 1530. Oh, boy. I'm James Erpine in (laughs) promo. This is ESPN 1530 on Twitter, at James Erpine. Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com, coming up in uh, probably about 10 minutes or so, depending on how long this segment goes. Uh, Justin chimes in on Twitter. If the Bearcats had won the tougher conference for the first time with a better team, you all would be talking about them for hours. Xavier gets 10 minutes, then it's on to Bearcat talk. Ridiculous. Except, Justin, no, no, no. So you're wrong Um, for for a variety of reasons. One, Pat Brennan of the Cincinnati Enquirer, who covers Xavier, joining us at 420. Now, every single Thursday at this time, a gentleman by the name of Chad Brendel joins us. So he's already booked, BearcatJournal.com. I can ask him about Xavier if you want to, but I figured I'd wait to do that with uh, with Pat Brennan coming up at 420. You know what's funny? Like, I'm the, out of every, like, I'm trying to think here. Definitely more than Moe, and he would be fine with me saying that. But Lance, he's a butler guy anyway. Like, I don't think there's anyone here that roots for Xavier more than me besides what, Willie? I, UC fans crush me all the time. You're a UC alum and you root for Xavier? Hell yes, man. I grew up two miles away. I, I root for Xavier every single game of the year, every single day of the year, except one. Because since I went to UC, I just feel obligated to root for the Bearcats, to be quite honest with you. But I've rooted for both every single year of my life, and that's not going to change. So, yeah, we, we did ten minutes of Xavier to start the show. Doesn't mean we're, we're – it's a three-hour show. It can't go wall-to-wall Xavier. I'm not you know, Joe Sutterman, Byron Larkin on the coaches, so with Chris Mack. They do that. They do an hour of, of straight Xavier. We will get to more Xavier, though, coming up at 4.20. Um, But but as far as UC goes, they're playing for a, a share of their league championship tonight as well. It's great. NKU has won a league title. Xavier has a share, and all they have to do is beat DePaul on the road, and they have their outright Big East champs. UC first in the American Athletic Conference. They beat Tulane tonight, and... Then they win a share of the American Athletic Conference championship, beat Wichita State Sunday, and it's theirs. Here's Mick Cronin on what it would be, what it would mean to his team to win the American Athletic Conference.
6: So it'd be great for us. It'd be great for us. Now, obviously, there's a lot more basketball to be played. So whether you, whether we win Thursday and we're able to clinch a share, we're you know we're still you're still good trying to point towards March and get better. But it's a great accomplishment. It's a hard accomplishment, really hard.
1: That's Mick Cronin, and you, you heard from him yesterday on that. Look, it's, it's hard to win any conference. It felt like uh, two weeks ago that the Bearcats were going to coast to it, and then they, they drop a couple games in the conference, and it's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, here we go. And that's why. It's hard. It's hard to win any conference, In the fact that NKU's done it, shout-out to them. The fact that UC has a chance to do it, shout out to them, and obviously Xavier, Um, who we've already given like 10-plus minutes to this hour. Uh, According to Justin, not enough time. Uh, Shout out to Xavier as well. (laughs) Uh, A couple more here. UC Tulane, they play tonight. News Radio 700, WLW. And uh, here's Mick Cronin on what the Tulane Green Wave, the, the
6: trouble they could possess for the Bearcats. They've, they've really, really good offensive team. I'll give you this: so in their last five games, they're one and four, but they have 20 more assists and turnovers. That's almost unheard of for a team that's one and four over a five-game stretch. So it tells you that they're really good on offense, even when they don't win. They're good on offense, uh, even when they don't win. They pass the ball. Uh, so they've struggled in that uh, defensively. Is where they've struggled.
1: That's Matt Cronin defensively. So maybe the Bearcats drop 100 tonight. How about that? I'd be fine with that. I could take that. I could deal with that. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they play without looking ahead to Wichita State. Because I think fans certainly probably looking ahead at least a little bit. In the Bearcats, you see the Tulane Green Wave. You see him on the road. You still expect them to win. And the Bearcats should win tonight. But it'll be interesting to see how it goes if they look past them. That game tip at nine, pregame, eight thirty. News Radio seven hundred WLW. UC thirteen point favorites there, and one reason why. Looking ahead, uh, just to this Bearcats. Looking past this season to the future. Obviously, Kane Broom could come back. We don't know about Jacob Evans, but Jaron Cumberland. Jaron Cumberland has improved, and here's uh, Mick Cronin talking about Cumberland, the sophomore that's came around and made a lot of improvement from year one to year two.
6: And he's been awesome all year, in my opinion, because of his defense and his understanding of basketball. His, defense his passing, his defense, on the ball, off the ball, uh, his understanding of what we're trying to do, his passing, his playmaking.
1: That's Mick Cronin and uh, on Jaron Cumberland. Look, th- this team, if they're going to make a run, they're going to need Cumberland and all their best players to play. Well, I love Cumberland in the open court. Mick has said it. Mo said it. He's their best passer. So he's just a piece of it. Look, hope, hopefully the Bearcats can get a W tonight, wrap up part of an American Athletic Conference Championship, and go uh, from there with a, a game on the road Sunday against Wichita State. Up next, we'll continue the Bearcats conversation with Chad Brendel. Bearcatjournal.com. It's our college hoops hour here on ESPN 1530. We'll get to... Um, a little bit more college hoops coming up at 404 Pat Brennan on Xavier at 420 and a little Bengals next hour as well as we continue May, might even try to sprinkle in some reds here as well I appreciate you joining me I'm James Rapine Informo Chad Brendel next on ESPN 1530 <laughs> 343 I'm James Rapine Inframo. this is ESPN 1530 Every week at this time, Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com joins us, and he gets to pick the music. I'm not going to act like I know what this is, Chad, but uh, how you doing?
7: I'm doing good. It's the Meters. Should, I, kn-
1: should I know who this
7: is? Uh, no, they're just from New Orleans. I thought it would be fitting with tonight's game it, in, uh, in New Orleans.
1: It is fitting. Dan Hoare tweeted out that they have jambalaya on the con- concessions.
7: It, and gumbo.
1: I- I'm totally down for both.
7: Uh, you and me both, but you want to go? Yeah, I think let's we can go. make it in time.
1: I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. He's Chad Brendel. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Chad Brendel bear I want to ask you about this Sean Miller stuff, but let's, let's start with Bearcats. I think that's why we have you here first and foremost. So I think we should start with them. Um, chance to win a league championship tonight, at least a share of it. So it, it instantly becomes a, a big game for the Bearcats on the road, huh?
7: Yeah. I mean, you should without question beat Tulane, but they do have a couple guys that are, and Melvin Frazier is going to play in the NBA and, and Cam Reynolds has a chance to play in the NBA. So, um, you got to be careful. Yeah. They're, they've lost uh, eight of their last 10 games, but six of those losses are only by seven points. So they're capable of keeping it close in their place on senior night. They'll probably be, I don't know, three, four 500 people there. So it could be a rowdy environment. Um, <laughs> You just have to go take care of business. Like you can't look ahead to Wichita on uh, Sunday. You have got to go in, be focused, take care of business, beat Tulane, clinch your share of that league title, and then go win it out right on Sunday.
1: Yeah, and, and that—that's the thing. And I, I look at at this UC team, and Mick talked about it how important, or, or almost the devalue uh, of of league championships. And, and I've, I look at NKU, obviously Xavier yesterday, what they did, and UC with the chance
8: tonight.
1: And I know we look ahead to the tournament and all of that stuff, but when you see, if you see clinches a part of the American athletic conference championship tonight, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to worry about March.
7: You know, it's funny, James, people love to move the the goalposts, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody before the wins some more league titles, you win some more league titles. So they're in a position to win a league title. And now it's, well, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's just what they do in the tournament. Like, People are are now incapable of enjoying anything. So it's not surprising that we've seen it devalued and everybody's focus is on March. But you have to think for Gary Clark and Kyle Washington, you know, Jacob Evans, those guys have been around a while. They want to win a league championship, and this is their chance to do it. So go out and take care of business. And it might not matter to, you know, the, the average fan, but there's a lot of people that that are all in on the basketball program and want to see him go ahead and get, you know, at, at worst, a share of this thing.
1: Chad Brendel, com is our guest. James Ruffin in for Mo. And Mick Cronin compared, or, or at least, uh, I don't want to say compared, but he discussed Jaron Cumberland's progression and, and what he's done and how he's improved from year one to year two. I know you were really high on Jaron coming into the year. Uh, are, are you on board with what Mick said?
7: I mean, to the point that he said it, yeah, because, I mean, his floor game is exponentially better this year. And Jaron is a guy that, if you saw him in high school, everybody that saw him wondered, how is this kid going to play defense at the highest level? And not only has he been serviceable, he's been very good defensively. Um, So that's one aspect that it allows you to keep him on the floor longer. You're not having to go offense-defense to get him in and out of the game. Um, he's really come a long way there. Uh, he's cut down some on the charges. And even now the ones that are called are like, are you kidding me? Um, most of them are bad. So in terms of his development, it's come a long way. Now we need to see him shoot from now through March, like he did against Tulsa. If he can add the three point shot, a consistent, you know, 40% three point shot to everything else, he's doing well this team becomes exponentially more dangerous when you pair him with Evans and Clark and Washington. And now Kane broom is starting to come on all that talk of having five guys that can score on the floor. Now is starting to become very much a reality as we get to the end of the season.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Kane broom and he had, uh, I think he has 44 points in his last three games. So he he is coming on. What's what changed? Because I know Mick talked about practice habits and work ethic but is it just he made the adjustment and is now finally catching on and in, in, in being what everyone expected him to be early, but it's different when you have to play defense all the time and adjust to Mick Cronin and adjust to, to the level that they're at and uh, that this UC team is at?
7: Well, I mean, not to take anything away from where he was at before, but that level of basketball is not high-level basketball. Sure. You know, he was able – he was quicker and faster and – and more smooth with the basketball than everyone he was playing against in that league when he was at sacred heart. And the fact that he wasn't a big physical player didn't affect him as much. He's had to learn how to impact the game at this level. And it's come slowly. Uh, You know, it, it hasn't happened as rapidly as some would maybe have liked, but I'll take it now that he's finally hitting his stride and becoming that threat from the point guard position that we anticipated that we would see maybe a little bit earlier in this year. But, you know, you want to peak when March hits. And if Kane Broom is just now really rounding into form, then you're you're peaking when March hits. And that's a very good thing for this roster.
1: Absolutely it is. I, I think it's it, it would be great if he starts, if he continues this, if Cumberland, you're right, if he can hit the outside shot. Because, and obviously the losses have been few and far between. But I think when UC has to play that half-court style, if they can bank on a Cumberland hitting a three from tossing it into Gary Clark or Kane Broom getting out on the break or being able to, to make a guy miss, so to speak, or shake a guy off and hit a jumper. That could be the difference between winning Sunday, winning in the American athletic conference tournament, advancing in March. And uh, I think this UC team needs to get to that level. If they're going to make the run that a lot of people hope they do.
7: Yeah. I mean, the the defense is going to be there, but, You know, the the offense is what everybody said was going to be different about this team in terms of can they get into a game like, you know, the Tulsa game is a perfect example. If the offense didn't play well at the beginning of the Tulsa game, that was a game that could have been 47 to 32 at halftime if they had come out slow. But Tulsa was hot and, and UC was hot. So they matched them shot for shot until they got into the second half and they were able to start getting some more stops. And then the offense continued playing well, and the defense tightened up. And next thing you know, you win—not comfortably, but at least you know you're able to not be in a situation uh, where the, the game is very much in doubt with you know 90 seconds left on the clock. Uh, the other big thing about Kane Broom—he's hitting almost 43% from three—and everybody thinks of him as you know a guy in transition, a guy that attacks. But especially like offensive rebounds, the ball finds its way back to him. His three point look when he's open from the top of the key is is pretty money. And, you know, that's a weapon as they continue to move forward. You've now now you've got Evans and Cumberland shooting well on the wings, and if you've got a point guard that shoots it well, now a defense is fully stretched out and that gives more room for Gary Clark and Kyle Washington to operate. So um, yeah just offensively when they're clicking it, it, it makes them a completely different animal
1: chad Brendel bearcat com is our guest looking looking ahead a little bit because we're not going to talk between now and sunday is it is it realistic to think oh they're going to go to kansas take on wichita state and get it done
7: i feel pretty good about it i don't know why i, I just have a good feeling that You know, the the interesting thing about that first game is conference games generally you know all the tendencies of your opponent before the game starts. Mm -hmm. Those two teams didn't know anything about each other. And Wichita State played really well offensively. I have to think with some time to digest that game tape and some time to go through what they want to do, that Cincinnati is going to be able to come up with a plan to slow down that offense a little bit more than what we saw in that initial game they've got so much on the line. You've got a chance to win that conference title outright and get the one seed. (sighs) I I hate being overconfident about something like that, but for some reason, I just feel like the veteran leadership on this team is going to, going to have, find out a way to get that job done uh, at Wichita in the return game. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I end up looking bad for that, but um, I have faith in, in Gary and Kyle and the leadership of this team. So I, I think they're gonna have a very good chance. Now they gotta go and execute. It's a you know, it's gonna be eleven AM uh in Kansas for that tip off on C B S so awkward tip time, but I think they can do it.
1: Yeah, I, I I feel the same way you do. I just don't think and I can't see a scenario, and maybe it's it's stupid of me to, and maybe it's me just being a homer, where you see drops both games to Wichita State. I just to me i totally understood the split and they they dropped one obviously at home so i think uc gets them back i just think that that's the natural thing with with two teams that i think uc might be a little better than but overall they're really good both teams
7: yeah i mean i think the thing i take away from that is james i I didn't feel uc played well really at all in that game agreed and it was a two-point game in the final second so if they play well i think they very much got a chance to win that game and then which thought of State has shown that they're a little vulnerable. Uh, they just beat Tulane by, uh, what, six points in that place? Yeah. And they've lost, you know, they, they've lost a, couple, a game or two there this year. So, I, I don't know. I, I just like their chances for some reason. And I usually am not, you know, th- talking to me over the year, uh, there are games where I don't feel good about, and mm-hmm. I make that clear. This one, for some reason, I feel pretty good about now. It's only Thursday. You might call me Sunday, and I'm like,
0: oh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's you might feel different about it tonight. Hopefully not.
8: Um, he's, right. he's Chad exactly. Rundle, Bearcat Journal.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist-pumper, a woohooer, a hand-clapper, a high-fiver? I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Follow him on Twitter,
1: at Chad Brendel. Chad, I have to ask you, and Sean Miller... I played the audio earlier in the hour denies it, but what are your thoughts on this whole thing with Arizona where he knew about money that went to Deandre Ayton, didn't know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs>
7: um, it, I think if you, there's, there was an article and I don't know if you've seen it that was produced by 24 seven sports that, that talked about the timeline, not matching up. Yeah. Um, that's what I know of this situation. I, Here's my question, James. Like when when the initial FBI reports, when all that stuff came out, right? Yeah. Um, we saw transcripts of those wiretaps. We saw player one and team six, and, you know, everything was detailed and labeled. Why haven't we seen that from ESPN? So, what I've heard, uh, Mark Schleyball never heard the wiretaps and never had the transcript. And, and two, when they, I know they've gone back. They've corrected themselves three times already on this story. I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah. Did you know ESPN has a corrections page I that know. nobody knows about?
1: I saw that. I didn't know about it until this week. And you're right. That that's what that's the red flag to me is that that they got the timeline wrong and they initiate uh, initiated multiple or, or made multiple corrections or retractions in their piece. So if that happens, well, Sean Miller's denying it like crazy. I think there's at least some holes in the report.
7: Well, here's here's another thing that. You talk about the seedy underbelly of the college basketball world. Generally, most people know the person that is running the show for the main recruits. They know that this kid is attached to this AAU coach or, you know, this is their guy. Christian Dawkins had no involvement with DeAndre Ayton. It, it, you know, if, if, if you're looking for a payment to, to land DeAndre Ayton, you would absolutely not have been talking to Christian Dawkins. So that's the part that doesn't make, you know, really any sense. It, it, the whole timeline is off. Nothing really, nothing really adds up. And, and I, I fully expected Sean to come out today and 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 act with the bravado and defiance that he had because the ESPN has quite a bit on Arizona and their program, obviously with the arrest of Book Richardson.
8: Mm-hmm.
7: None of it pointed to Christian Dawkins being involved with DeAndre Ayton, and now all of a sudden. You know, Mark Schleyball is going to run with it. I, personally, what I think, I think Yahoo was was kicking ESPN's tail on this story.
8: Oh, okay.
7: And ESPN felt like they had to have something. Maybe Schleyball thought he had something that was foolproof, but it wasn't. And I don't think this is going to turn out well for ESPN. Now, do I think Sean Miller is clean? I, I, I don't know. But, you know, there's plenty out there that says that there was a lot going on in Arizona. I don't think Sean Miller talked to Christian Dawkins about $100,000 for DeAndre Ayton. That's just, from what I know of the story, that's what I've heard. And um, if that is the case, it is going to cost the ESPN legal team quite a bit of money to make this go away.
1: He's Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com. What do you got on the site right now, Chad?
7: Oh, we got all kinds of stuff. We've got a uh, sit-down with Luke Thickel, previewing spring football. Spring football starts Monday, James.
1: That's insane to me.
7: (laughs) So uh, we've got that up. We've got a bunch of stuff. We've got a preview of tonight's Tulane game with a reporter from the New Orleans Advocate. We've got a new BCJ podcast. We've got a skinny podcast. James, Richard Skinner said the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard on the planet today.
1: I saw that tweeted. I, I, I need to check it out to see what it was.
7: He called shorts. He called like, 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 Packy shorts. Yeah. He called them summertime short pants.
1: Oh, stop it. No he didn't. That's what he called them. No, no he, he didn't. Did. <laughs> and
7: then he defended it the rest of the show when we were like, "You mean shorts?"
1: He's like, "No, short pants." He did not short. say summertime short pants. He,
7: it is 100% <laughs> summertime short pants.
1: Oh my god. See, I'm never going to be able to like talk to him without thinking about short pants now.
7: Uh I he should be ridiculed for the rest of his career. <laughs> the phrase summertime short pants.
1: He should. He should. Make sure you check it out, BearCatJournal.com. Chad, enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the game Sunday. Hopefully we're talking about two Ws.
7: All right. Thanks, James.
1: Make sure you check out ChadBrendel.com, uh, or ChadBrendel at BearCatJournal.com. Look at that. I'm giving him his own website after his name. Um, we'll have to get to it. Let's continue the Bearcats conversation. There's one thing on ESPN1530.com that was sent to Lance. And he put it up there, and I'm looking at it right now, and I want your reaction to it. So stay tuned for that. We'll get into some bangles coming up in 30 minutes. Pat Brennan of the Enquirer on Xavier, the Big East champs at 420. Thank you so much for making us part of your day. I'm James Erpine. Infirmo. this is ESPN 1530. In 30 minutes, we'll talk Bengals. I'm James Rapine. This is ESPN 1530. A ton on ESPN1530.com, including every single show, from Mo to Lance, myself. All you do, you go to ESPN1530.com, and you click the podcast tab, and you'll see Lance, Mo, myself. You'll see the Bengals podcast, the FC Cincinnati podcast during the year. But uh, every single show, from Cincy 360 to Lance's show to Mo's show, and it's also on the iHeartRadio app, which you can download. So make sure you check that out at ESPN1530.com. We have a ton this hour. We're packed. Pack, pack, pack. Pat Brennan on Xavier in the Big East Championship. Cincinnati.com going to join us at 420. So that's like 14 minutes from right now. So stay tuned for that. Duke Tobin. Bengals Director of Player Personnel coming up at 4.33. I'm going to try to get to some Reds this hour as well. We're packed. We'll see what we can fit in. And uh, next hour we have College Hoops. We have a little Bengals and some Bearcats as well. So uh, Xavier, Bearcats, Bengals in uh, in the 5 o'clock hour. But this is something I want to hear from you on. And I I want to open up the lines at 513-749-1530 and 866-702-3776. And this is why. If you feel like this emailer does that, emailed Mick Cronin, I want to give you a platform to expand upon that and, and discuss it. And because I, I'm not, I don't get you. I don't get you. There's an emailer, and his name is um, Evanton. And I'm not going to read the entire email, even though it is on Lance's blog at ESPN1530.com/Lance. Here's, uh, I'll just read a couple lines from it. At one point, he res- he, he refers to Mick Cronin as Marvin Cronin. He says, what is the statute of limitations on giving Mick credit for rebuilding UC basketball? He says he had led us to the tournament for seven straight years. He means has. 68 teams make the tournament. Our overall strength of schedule is 63. And then he looks back. He looks back at the glory years. And obviously they were great. The Huggins era, that catitude era of the the 90s and the early 2000s. He says, we were once big, bad Bearcats. We were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. We'd stroll into a gym, and the intimidation of our players and coach was worth at least five points a, games, a game. Hugs controlled the refs. Mick stomps around the sidelines like Napoleon, cusses out officials, his players, even opposing, uh, and even oppo- opposing players. He never sits down. He yells instructions the entire game. He smothers player creativity and offensive flow. I swear his players make mistakes because they are too busy looking at him. He's never happy, not even with a 40-point lead, and then has the nerve to get mad when fans or media ask him the very same uh, about the very same team deficiencies he's constantly pointing out. That's all I'll read from it, that entire thing on Lance's blog, ESPN1530.com. I have thoughts on this. Is there times that I think that Mick Cronin could maybe unleash the offense a little bit more, let his players run, and maybe the point guard looks over one too many times to get the play or to get instruction? Sure, absolutely. But comparing Mick Cronin to Marvin Lewis is the most insane thing I think I've ever heard. Ever, 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 ever heard. That It's crazy to me for so many reasons. It's crazy to act like Mick Cronin isn't doing exactly what Any great coach would do with this roster, with this. And obviously the Bearcats have a great roster, or a good roster. But what more do you expect them to do? They're 25-4. and What's the bar? If Mick Cronin so far hasn't got to the bar, I mean, they're first in their conference. They have two games remaining. They control their own destiny in the conference. They're projected to be a three seed in the NCAA tournament. I think that could get to a two if everything goes right. What exactly are we talking about here? And it boils down to one thing. Admit you don't like Mick Cronin. <laughs> when you get nitpicky with someone, and I've done this in my life, and you've done it, and, and, and we've all done it. When you just don't like someone, you nitpick. Look at them doing this. And whatever, they could be drinking a soda. Look at them drinking a soda. I freaking hate them. Mick Cronin yells at the officials. That's what we're getting nitpicky about. Guess who else did? Bob Huggins and most coaches. A lot of coaches do that. See, personally, I love mixed fire. That's irrelevant to the, the, entire, um, the entire conversation of results or not because I don't think every coach needs to yell to get results. But Mick Cronin does it. That's his style. And his styles led to 25-4. and 4. And in this email, it goes on to point out how he's been to one sweet 16, how he hasn't made a run in March, how he's eliminated in the first or second round in X amount of time, six out of seven years. Okay, fine. It's March 1st. They're 25-4 and four, in a position to win the league, in a position to win the conference championship, in a position to get a really high seed. And Mick Cronin can't make a run in March yet because, well, March Madness doesn't start for a couple weeks. So the beef with him what is it is it losing by to Houston by 5 losing to Wichita State by 4 Really? No, it's that you don't like him. And I want to hear from fans because I know you're out there. Bearcats fans who look at Mick and then they look at Huggs and they're like, "Oh man, it was so much better with Bob Huggins." And I look at it and I think it's it might not be equally the same. Part of that has to do with the conference. People forget And I I said this to Mo, and he was like, yeah, Conference USA was really good. And it was. Do you forget Conference USA? Memphis at times. Charlotte at times was all right. But Marquette, Louisville, that conference was pretty freaking good. So when you talk about strength of schedule, okay, that's part of it. So I don't know. I, I look at this, and I just think it's silly. I think it's silly that we look back and we glorify one coach. And the other one who, I get it, he hasn't made a Final Four yet. But outside of making a Final Four run in longevity because the amount of years he's been here versus what Huggins was, what's the difference? What's the difference in the two? Perception, likability, relatability? I don't care. I don't, I don't need McCronin to be relatable to everybody. I want him to get W's. They're 25 and four. <laughs> I don't care who you're playing every week. They're 25-4. and four. Win the conference tonight. Yes. They lose the Tulane tonight, and it's, they score 35 points on offense, and you critique that. Absolutely. I get it. I understand that aspect. But being nitpicky because he complains to the officials too much or being nitpicky because he's his sideline demeanor, that's the silliest thing. People do that. People here do that with Brian Kelly now at Notre Dame, and they never noticed it when he was at UC. But he did it at UC. Ask Tony Pike. He did that stuff at UC. He lost his mind. But no one points it out. Why? Because we liked Brian Kelly then. Now, we'll be nitpicky. He left us. So, this email, fine. The the one legitimate thing in here, yeah, does Mick sometimes, do I think that the the point guard turns to his coach too much? Sure. But that's a lot of coaches. And if that's the biggest gripe that someone has, about a 25-4 and basketball team, I think you're living pretty good. That's rich people problems. That's first world problems. Whatever phrase you want to use, that's what it is. Because by the time Monday afternoon, Monday at noon, when I come in here and Mo returns from Goodyear and we're getting ready to do Cincy 360, there's a chance we could be coming on and talking about the 27-4 Bearcats. Are you really, really, really going to whine, bitch, and moan about Mick Cronin they're 27-4 and four in American Athletic Conference champions. Or 26-5 and five in American Athletic Conference champions. You going to do that? If so, why? Other than the fact that you don't like the coach. That's the only explanation. There is no other one. I'll give you a form. 513-749-1530-866-702-3776. You tweet me as well, at James Rapine. We'll get to your tweets. We'll continue the college, baske- college basketball conversation next on ESPN 1530. Pat Brennan, Cincinnati.com, and the Enquirer on Xavier Hoops Big East Championship coming up in about 60 seconds or so. But first, Terry in Blue Ash. Terry, you're on ESPN 1530.
4: Hi, James. Hey, how you doing? I'm great, thank you. I just wanted to chime in a little bit about um, that emailer. Sure. I I used to be that emailer at one time because I was probably one of the biggest Bob Huggins fans you could have around, and it was very hard for me to get used to Mick. And I really didn't care for him at first, but he's grown on me over the years. And I, I think someone like that—it sounds like someone that was—I agree with you. I think he just doesn't like Mick, and sometimes I think it's because you get so enamored with a or you love a certain coach so much that it's just hard for anyone to follow that coach. Yeah. And um, I think for anyone that complains about, well, if you see playing in the ACC or the SEC, their record wouldn't be as good as it is. Those people have to also remember that if they played in those conferences, they would be getting more elite players than they get. And that's not a knock on the players we get, but it's just a fact. Sure. That we don't get the top of the – top-tier players like those schools do. So you can't say that, because if you were in those leagues, the talent you would be getting would be different than what he's getting. And I think he does a phenomenal job with what he gets. And I appreciate him, and that's all I wanted to say.
1: Awesome. Terry, I appreciate the call. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. That's good stuff there. Closing up on the Mick Cronin conversation. There we go. Terry drops the mic on it. All right. Yeah. Stop hating Mick Cronin, UC fans. I'm James Erpine. In for a This is ESPN 1530 for more college hoops. But let's talk about the Big East champs, the Xavier Musketeers, with Pat Brennan of the Enquire on Twitter at PBrennanENQ. Pat, I appreciate the time, man. How was the celebration yesterday?
9: James, it was wild, man. Uh, it's it's always a special time, uh, even for the B Riders to you know, watch and be kind of caught up in the chaos, the beautiful chaos of what, you know, the kind of scenes that transpired at Sintas Center last night. The confetti was raining down, and uh, the players are cutting the nets down. And it was great. You know, you get to know some of these players. You, um, you're um you certainly happy for them to see them reach their goals. And it was just... Uh, You know, it's not something you get to experience. It's something Xavier's been chasing for a long time. Uh, Even going back to, you know, a regular season title, that is. Even going back to their days in the A-10. It's been, uh, I think, seven years since they'd won a regular season title. So, uh, last night was pretty special. And uh, really, really fun to uh, get to watch that unfold at home, no less, with the great atmosphere at Sintas.
1: Yeah, it was it was perfect to me. It was the perfect, perfect way to end it. I mean, Trayvon blew it at the end. The game was never really in doubt. and Trayvon blew it at the end at the free throw line. He gets the standing ovation. The rest of the seniors come out towards the end. And on top of that, you win the Big East.
4: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
7: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride
3: and groom?
4: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
4: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Title. Uh, a, a little bit about the game, though. It, it seemed like Trayvon Blewett dialed in. I always get worried about, about senior days, especially against a team like Providence, who's no slouch. I mean... It wouldn't have been crazy. They already beat Xavier once this year to see them keep it close, and they did,
6: they yeah, did at yeah. times.
1: And it it seemed like Trayvon Blunt from the start, though, started three of six, I believe, and had six early points. He was dialed in, and so was the rest of uh, the Musketeers.
9: Yeah, you know, I got a sense and I talked to Chris Mack and uh, Sean O'Mara a little bit about this last night. I just got a sense that, you know, they had they felt like they had one hand on the trophy, and they just were not going to let go under no circumstance, regardless of what Providence was going to throw at them. Uh, and Providence had their deficit down to one point early in the second half. Uh, and I, it was a little bit tense, um, at least from the fan perspective, in the arena. But I just never, I never really got the sense. Xavier always felt like it was in control. And on their home court, with the seniors, with everything the senior class accomplished, Uh, I just, you know, uh, call me biased because maybe I'm because I'm around this team every day, but I just didn't think they were going to let it get away, and they didn't. Ultimately, like you said, there was uh, really no doubt um, coming down the stretch that Xavier was going to finish this out the way they needed to. And, um, yeah, Trayvon looked fantastic right from the outset, and then he finished very strong. Uh, Sean O'Mara played – he was – uh, very active in the opening minutes of the game. They clearly wanted to set a tone, and it was a tone that I think largely they were able to maintain uh, throughout the 40 minutes with uh, a few exceptions, but certainly not enough to let Providence well and truly back into the game. And ultimately it was a tone that saw them to the uh, the clinching win that they needed.
1: Pat Brennan of the Enquirer is our guest on Twitter, at pbrennanenq. Yeah, and Quentin Gooden. Quentin Gooden's shining, man. I, I look at, and obviously there's there's plenty between now and, and the end of the year, but Quentin Gooden heading into his junior year, I look at that and it, it just seems like the, the backcourt is safe in safe hands with Gooden uh, heading into his junior season.
9: Yeah, absolutely. You know, what Quentin Gooden has become since he got kind of thrust into this role of running point for Xavier after Edmund Sumner got hurt, uh, I think that was late, late last January, January 2017. Anyway, he's had uh, 13 or 14 months in this role now, and he looks like he's been at it for four seasons. I mean, the guy is just um, he's unrecognizable from when he got to campus yeah.
8: in mm-hmm.
9: August of 2016. Uh, and I think the feeling is still incredibly high for, for Quinton, but he certainly is a player that um, he, he used to be a guy as recently as, I think, the non-conference season where if you got a contribution from him, like a significant offensive contribution from him, okay, great. We'll certainly take that if we're Xavier. But you didn't bank on that. And now you can kind of bank on it. Uh, Quinton Gooden is as reliable a scorer, certainly in the last 10 games, as Xavier has. And um, I have every reason to think. I think he could be a real um, a real wild card kind of player that other teams might overlook as they kind of scurry to focus on Blewett and Karam Cantor. And I think Gooden is a player that could uh, maybe have a, a little bit of a – we know him well here in Cincinnati. I think he could have a little bit of a coming out party this March.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I think that's there'll, there'll be a time if if Xavier makes a run where Quentin Good makes a play that you're like, oh man, that just saved them the game. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah. W- w- one other thing I I want to get to as far as last night, but well, we've talked about it. I had you on before. I think both Villanova matchups, and mm-hmm. and it's just kind cry- kind of crazy to me that we're here with Xavier. They got to beat DePaul in their outright Big East champs, and yet they still haven't knocked off Villanova. It's just it's a great thing. I just, I never. If you would have told me at the beginning of the season, I'm like, yeah, you probably have to beat Villanova once if you want to win the Big East, and yeah. it's not the yeah. case.
9: Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. I was almost tempted to ask Chris Mack about it, and then obviously you realize that you take not only you know just like you take a conference win uh, in the regular season under any circumstance, you're not going to quibble when it comes to the Big East title. Um, and there are two arguments to that. Yeah, I think there is, I, I really do, James, think there is a little bit of an asterisk because they didn't beat Villanova. And I hope these two teams get together and get to settle it once, for, once and for all uh, in New York next week. But then you look at it from the other side. Xavier was able to take care of business uh, against teams that Villanova did not. And for that reason, Xavier is completely deserving of this Big East title. And you could certainly argue there's no way in the heck there should be any asterisk attached to this championship. Uh, and that, that argument, I think, wins out for me. It is weird, and I completely agree with you, that if you told me before the season started, Villanova was going to sweep Xavier... I would have said, well, that's going to be the difference then, and Xavier will finish in second place, and Villanova will win the league like they always do. The fact that it's played out this way is fascinating to me. I think it says a lot about what Villanova thinks of Xavier and how they get up for that Xavier game. Um, Despite their dominance in that series, that really might be uh, a burgeoning rival. And Villanova, I'm starting to think, might see Xavier as the imminent and long-term threat to Big East supremacy and and challenging them on a consistent basis. And maybe that's why Villanova gets up for Xavier like they do and are 10-1 against them uh, since Xavier joined their league. But, um, yeah, just you're absolutely right. It's it, it's just odd that it worked out that way. But uh, no one at Xavier, I promise you, is uh, complaining about it today.
1: <laughs> no. no, and they shouldn't. Look, if you if see wins tonight, Wichita State, drops a, a game let's just say they lost then yeah it would be the same thing like if you see and then lost sunday like if you if you win who cares villanova couldn't get the ball yeah. in yesterday at times against seton hall down the stretch like th- that's yeah. something i and i tweeted this out like i'm watching villanova struggle to get the ball in down the stretch against seton hall and yeah. they play lights out against xavier and that i think that's a good point it shows the respect there that they know they have to bring it because the, the team I saw the other day, yesterday, against Seton Hall, is not the team that came into the Cintas Center a couple weeks back.
9: Yeah. You know, and I'll just say it once again, just to reiterate, Xavier swept St. John's like they were supposed to this year. They also swept Creighton. It wasn't always pretty in both of those series, but they did it. Villanova was supposed to sweep those two teams, too, when you look at the preseason rankings and everything, and they didn't take care of business Xavier did. That's why we're in the position we're in today, James.
1: Yeah, and it's a good one. He's uh, Pat Brennan on Twitter, at P Brennan E-N-Q, and just uh, looking ahead a little bit to Paul, I'm assuming a W, but you can't look past anyone. What are your thoughts on that matchup?
9: Yeah, it's you know it's a really tricky game because it will be DePaul's last home game of the season. It'll be their senior night, I believe. Um, I don't think anyone has any realistic expectations of them making any moves in New York next week. So, you know, the season is winding down for them. But this is their Super Bowl, a chance to go into next year, build some momentum going into the offseason against arguably uh, the best team in the country in Xavier. So you're going to get a game out of DePaul, uh, you know, without question. Max Struess, one-time Xavier recruit. Uh, went off, had a career night. I think it was 33 points here he had at Centa Center when Xavier beat DePaul early, early, early on in Big East play. So, you know, DePaul has a ton of talent. I do think that, you know, they're still at the bottom of the Big East standings, but I think they're a a much improved team from when Xavier saw them last year. And um, you just cannot take anything for granted. You know, who would have thought Villanova would have dropped – a game to St. John's this year. Yeah. So it just as easily happened to Xavier against DePaul. And I'm, I'm, I actually just stepped out of Xavier's practice at Sintas Center. They're going hard today. They're going as hard today as I've ever seen them go in a practice. There's no evidence of, uh, of them having won the Big East title last night. And they're preparing for DePaul like they have everything to lose. Um, and I think that's the right way to go about it.
1: Heck, yeah. I mean, they do. Could you imagine getting to this point and then being co-champs with Villanova? That would suck.
8: Yeah.
9: (laughs) You know? (laughs) Like, that would be awful. Yeah, Yeah, that would suck. (laughs) And uh, Sean O'Mara shot me a glare last night when I asked him, you know, after this celebration here tonight, is there a chance for a letdown Saturday? And he just kind of shot me this... this, uh, Oh, man, he stared right into my soul. He was like, when we... Wrote out our, our, our goals for this season. We we did not write out Big East Coach Champions, and that and that was kind of like his drop the mic walk off moment. Uh, totally owned me there, and I obviously I believe him. So uh, Xavier wants this outright title very very badly.
1: Yeah, I don't blame him. He's Pat Brennan. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at p Brennan E N Q. Pat, as always, man. I appreciate the time. I was going to, but I'm not even gonna waste your time with this whole soccer stuff.
9: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not even gonna do it. Don't even. Yeah, uh, look, I, I, I won't even, and I'm not gonna
9: respond because <laughs> I got nothing for you. I
1: appreciate you, man. <laughs>
9: hey, I appreciate you too, James.
1: <laughs> I, Pat Brennan has to write about the FC. since Like the whole city is tired of hearing about stadium expansion, and that guy has to cover it. All the little news articles, all that stuff. So. I, If if anything, I feel bad for him at this point because there's not really any news, but any news is still news in that industry where you have to write about it. So, uh, yeah, uh, that'll get podcasted, by the way, for Xavier fans looking for a little Xavier coverage. UC plays the night. We'll get into the Bearcats coming up at 5 o'clock. But first, let's switch gears. We haven't done any football today. Haven't done any football today, but we will next. You're going to hear from Duke Tobin. Who is he? He's the Bengals Director of Player Personnel. And you'll hear from him next on ESPN 1530. It's 439. I'm James Rapine, Infirmo. This is ESPN 1530. Great to have you in. Call in numbers, as always, 513 749 1530 and 866 702 3776. It's interesting here because the, the Bengals. Well, they need a lot of help, and they have 11 draft picks, and the Combine's going on and every single Combine, and and this is really the the best part about the Combine, is we hear from Duke Tobin, who's kind of the man behind the scenes. Everyone thinks Mike Brown makes all the decisions, but Duke Tobin's the personnel guy, the director of player personnel for the Bengals, helps them in the draft process, has had some successes for sure, and uh, here he is yesterday at the Combine, and he was asked about the deepest positions in the draft, and Lucky for them, at least according to Duke offensive line, it's kind of deep.
10: Uh, I think the draft offers a lot of linemen. You know, it, it, maybe not Orlando Pace, but a lot of guys that will be starters and good players. Uh, I, think, I think there's, uh, there's depth, on, depth on defense. I think there are big interior defensive linemen. Uh, I think there's a number of safeties. The corners is a good group. So I think it's a, it's a good draft altogether, and, and there's a lot of good talent to be, to be had.
1: That's Duke Tobin. And it's, it's one of those things where you, you look at this draft, you see what are their needs. Offensive line. He said that there's depth there. So maybe they can address their offensive line needs. One thing that uh, this offseason that's going to be talked about, for better or for worse, is A.J. McCarran. Is he a starter? Is he not? Duke Tobin was asked about McCarron yesterday and if he could be an effective starter in the NFL. Here's Duke Tobin. Uh,
10: the question is, do I believe he can be an effective starter? I do, being around him. Uh, his mental makeup is what you want. His competitiveness is what you want. Um, only time will tell. I, I think with quarterbacks, it's, it's situation opportunity, what's around him, what you ask him to do. So I think any quarterback needs all that to align to be ultimately successful. But we've got a lot of uh, belief in A.J. McCarron. You know, that's uh, that's what I've said for, for the years he's been with us, and we still believe that. There you go.
1: He thinks he can be a starter, which is why they didn't move on from him or give him a chance to start this past offseason. Here's Duke Tobin on whether or not they gave uh, Duke Tobin on whether or not they gave AJ McCarron a chance or or thought about giving him a chance rather to start over Andy Dalton.
10: Question is, did we consider starting him over Dalton? And the answer is no. We feel we feel very confident, confident and comfortable with Andy Dalton as our our starting quarterback. Uh, we felt good if AJ had to go in the game. Um, but uh, you know we feel good about what Andy's done. Andy's been able to play at the top of the league in the past. We've got to play better around him. We've got to support him with a better running game, uh, better pass protection. Uh, we, we've got to. Uh, uh, he's got to make more explosive plays down the field, uh, and that's part of the wideouts' job, part of the tight ends' job, and uh, and and part him. Yeah, we've got to connect on those long plays, and, and Andy's going to work on that and has been working on it. And we think that, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for Andy, in our opinion. So we did not. That's interesting. The sky's the limit for Andy. Look,
1: there's a lot of Andy Dalton supporters. There's a lot of people that aren't a fan of Andy Dalton's performance. I will say this the idea that he, he's going to get improved tremendously throwing the ball downfield, I think that's silly. I do think that if you're going to build around him, you've got to do it in free agency. I'm the draft guy, right? I'm more focused on free agency for the Bengals. They have to get established veterans in here that can help the line. They have to. It's that simple. So we could talk about the combine and numbers, and Rocky and I, if you're looking for Bengals, went wall-to-wall Bengals today on Cincy 360, podcast up, ESPN1530.com, um, and on the iHeartRadio app. Just search James Rapine. Up next, we'll fit in a little bit of reds before we get back into college hoops. It's, it's a heavy college hoops show. But I want to talk a bit of a uh, Little Reds. So you're going to hear from Jonathan Mayo, MLBpipeline.com, next on ESPN 1530. It's 448. I'm James Erpine. Next, our Joe Goodberry of The Athletic joining us at, uh, at 520. We'll get into some college hoops as well at 504. And uh, let's see here. A little Bearcats, a little Musketeers between now and 6 o'clock. But I wanted to fit in a Little Reds. Because it's almost baseball season, even though it doesn't feel like an opening day. If I can do some quick math, 28 days away. And um, for more on that, Jonathan Mayo joined me on the show yesterday, MLB Pipeline. This entire interview on the podcast page, ESPN1530.com, also the iHeartRadio app. I asked Jonathan about some of the, the Reds' top prospects, and I want you to hear about it. First one, Jesse Winker. A guy who's going to get a lot of playing time, expected to get a lot of playing time for the Reds this season. He's their fourth outfielder. Here's mail on what Winker brings to the Reds. I mean, he just hits, you know,
5: with, with very small exceptions. He hits and he gets on base. Uh, he doesn't strike out. Uh, you know, Power maybe isn't what people thought, although he hit for more power when he was in the big leagues. I kind of think that he's the kind of guy who's always been hit over power and that the power would come late. And sometimes for those guys, it doesn't really show up until they get to the big leagues. Now, I don't know that he's going to whether He slugged almost 530 in the big leagues. Will he do that? I don't know. But, I mean, this is a guy who is, you know, I think is a 300 hitter. Probably can come close to 400 on base. He's going to drive in runs. Even if he doesn't hit for home run power, he's going to hit a lot of doubles. Uh, so he's he's just going to hit. And keep hitting. I mean, and uh, I thought for a little while now that he deserved a chance just to go out there and do that on a daily basis, and and you'll get an appreciation for what he can do. And it's got to be the bat. He's okay in the outfield, but he's not particularly – uh, adept at it, you know. Fringe, maybe average at best. Um, in
7: in the corners and. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com.
11: It's my little escape.
7: Now Judy's the life of the party.
11: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
6: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody.
0: So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba.
7: ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. we're prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions
5: apply. See website for details. Uh, so it's the Bats. that's going to have to keep them in the lineup, but I think it's more than good enough to keep them there.
1: Jonathan Mayo, MLBPipeline.com, is our guest. Follow him on Twitter, at Jonathan Mayo. The Reds coming in eighth. Uh, in Farm System Rankings for MLBPipeline.com. Hunter Green's a guy. Obviously, we know he's on the cover of, of Sports Illustrated. Everyone knows about him. Um, is, is there uh, – what What do you project him to be? He's still really young. People here in Cincinnati probably years away from seeing him. But but a guy like Hunter Green, what uh, – obviously, there's a lot to like, but what stands out with him?
5: Oh, the 80 fastball's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know – he's an interesting one to figure out because you could project whatever you want. You know, I mean, he could be the greatest starting pitcher we've seen in a generation. Uh, but you know, we don't know. There's, there's a little bit of an unknown because he didn't throw a ton, his, especially in his senior year, but he's athletic. This guy would have been a first round draft pick as a position player. Um, he goes a hundred miles an hour without effort. You know, so this isn't always oh, got to be in a bullpen because, you know, he's going to blow out because there's so much effort. Uh, he commands the baseball really well. Uh, you know, it's a question of how quickly the secondary stuff will continue to sharpen. You know, he'll show a plus slider, but not all the time. Uh, he's got feel for a changeup. Um, he works really hard at it, and he's not focused on pitching only. So he had a whole off season to work only on being a pitcher, uh, heading into a year, he's on the mentality that he's a pitcher only. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens with him. It wouldn't surprise me, and this is not without with any real knowledge, but that they sort of held him back a little bit and then sent them to Dayton. Uh, you know, after a month or two, I'll let it warm up a little bit. Manages inning some, uh, but I do think he will be a full season ball at some point this year. And then it's just been a question of. Uh, of how the the stuff continues to sharpen as he learns how to be a professional pitcher,
1: Jonathan. One question I got on Twitter when I, I, I retweeted this out, and in, in, in one Reds fan. And there's always going to be positive and negative feedback, especially when the Reds are going through a rebuild like they are. And winning 68 games the past couple of years hasn't hasn't done uh, done them any favors. Right. But but looking at th- this Reds minor league system, they come in at eighth fans wondered why they were so low. And I know that's not necessarily fair, but they've seen all their, a lot of the stars get shipped out. Do you think, knowing how the Reds have been rebuilding for a couple of years, that eighth is uh, good for them as an organization, or do you think they, they should potentially be higher and it should have more talent in the, the farm system at this point?
5: You know, I think you could argue that, especially some of the early trades when they first were rebuilding, did not net... This, you know, the caliber of player that they, you know, maybe they hoped they were getting, um, but you know they've also had some of the guys in their system graduate. Uh, a lot of those guys are in the big leagues now, so you have to keep in mind that we're not taking into account the fact that Sal Romano and Robert Stevenson and Amir Garrett, even though he was very up and down, um, you know, these are guys that are no longer considered prospects. So there's there's some. Depth in terms of young players who aren't prospects, that if you were going to figure them into it, would add to the depth and maybe push them up another spot or two. Um, but, I mean, I understand the frustration because you look at, uh, you know, teams that will be ahead of them on uh, the top 10 list. We haven't gone to the Braves yet. Obviously, they had the top farm system in all baseball last year, and they, you know, they went in full and rebuild. Um, and, you know, Some teams have done that, uh, you know, maybe a little bit better than others, and maybe at times the Reds fell a little short in getting returned. But I think that the combination of who they did get combined with their aggressive moves in the international market and what they've done in the last couple of drafts, then then you sort of consider those, as I said, graduated off prospect list but not fully established big league veteran guys. There's there's a lot to, to feel positive about. I think that it's it's all heading in the right direction.
1: Two pitchers I want to ask you about. You've been great with your time, but uh they are no longer prospects, have graduated up to the major league level, but Luis Castillo, did you see him and I know he was ranked in your top ten last year, but did you see him being as good as he was early last season for the Reds?
8: No. <laughs> um
5: I did not. Makes um sense. you know and and there's uh you know it happens in both directions, right? When you have high expectations for a guy and, uh, they fall short. Uh, and then the flip side is a guy like Castillo who you're like, well, he's always kind of been interesting. Uh, he's always had good stuff, but you know, I, I don't expect him to be that good. Um, and I think, you know, he, he, it just all came together for him a lot better than it had get had thrown he was throwing well in the minors you know before he he came up um, you know he started missing more bats uh, i think he found a good mix of commanding the ball and and not just throwing strikes he went from throwing strikes to throwing quality strikes. And and that's a tough lesson to learn because, you know, you, you tend to as a fan, even you check walk rate and things like that. And his walk rate has always been pretty good. You know, in the minors, it was about two and a half per nine. Um, but, but he was always a guy that did not have the kind of results that you necessarily thought you should see, given how good the stuff was. And he took, you know, a nice step forward in 2016, um, with the Marlins uh, and then they kind of put it all together at the upper levels with uh, with the Reds and yeah, he, he far outstripped, I think, anything, anybody could have hoped for. And you now hopefully for the Reds, it continues because that big league rotation has, you know, a whole lot of question marks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> They're basically all question marks. Jonathan, yeah. MLB Uh One more for you. And, and he's another question mark. And we saw, Good from him last year, bad, and he was injured at points. Uh, Amir Garrett, you mentioned him. What are, are your thoughts on him and how he uh, stacks up? Because it, it, at least now it seems like he might end up in AAA to start the season.
5: Yeah, and then I think it's going to be a question of how he reacts to that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's such a major competitor that he could do one of two things. He could use that and sulk or he could use that as motivation. Um, I'd like to hope that he goes towards the, uh, the latter uh, choice because the, the stuff is good. He's got all the things he would want to be a middle of the rotation starter. Um, you know, I think he kind of raised the expectation level with how well, how well he pitched in 2016, you know, and getting up to the triple and, Throwing a ton of innings, and you know, this is a guy. You have to remember that when he entered pro ball, he was still trying to play college basketball. He hadn't pitched a whole lot in his career, uh, so like in a lot of ways, he got there faster than I was expecting. But then didn't handle it well. You know, once he started having some problems, uh, it snowballed. Uh, it snowballed on him, and the the biggest thing I think was the, the command, uh, which he had worked so hard to improve over the course of his climb through the minor leagues and he's a really good athlete Uh, i think he's going to get there uh hopefully he gets another opportunity at some point uh this year uh because i think if he languishes for too long that could affect him adversely um you know maybe at some point they'll want to consider using some of the depth to to make some trades especially if some of these question marks uh you know answer the bell and pitch well
1: that entire thing, that's Jonathan Mail, mlbpipeline.com. That entire thing's ESPN1530.com. So you can check that out there. All you do is you go to ESPN1530.com. There's a podcast page, and every single interview we do here, ESPN1530, is posted. Everything, Every single show, interviews, so much more. Whether you want Xavier, Rick Broering, and Pat Brennan, whether you want UC, speaking of those two, we're going to get into those next. I'm James Rapine, in for You'll hear from Chris Mack. You'll hear from Mick Cronin starting at 5.04. Thank you so much for being with us today. College Hoops is next on ESPN 1530. This is ESPN 1530. I'm James Erpine. Great to have you here. A lot to get to. Sorry for the, the delay. I like the music. I was letting the music play so I could listen to it and uh, hopefully you enjoy that and this on your way home. A lot to get to in the final hour of the show, including Joe Goodberry coming up 16 minutes from right now. Joe covers the Bengals for the athletic. We'll talk to him about the importance of the combine and so much more done a lot of college hoops today, and this is a a pretty good college hoops hour. You're going to hear part of my conversation with Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com, coming up at 540. So if you're looking for Bearcats, you'll get them, well, at 540 and in about five minutes. But first, let's talk about the Musketeers. The Musketeers yesterday win the Big East Championship, beat Providence 84-74. It's senior night at the Cintas Center. Everything's going perfect. Um, Trayvon Blewett scores 23 points. He delivers. Quentin Gooden plays well. J.P. McCura didn't have a great uh, night, but it didn't matter because they win the Big East Tournament, or Big East Championship, rather, and they'll get the number one seed potentially in the Big East Tournament. All they need to do is wrap it up with a win over DePaul on Saturday. What will that do? Well, right now they, they have a share of the Big East title, and if they lose against DePaul, which is one of, if not the worst team in the Big East, Then Villanova can tie them. But, uh, yeah, good stuff from Xavier. They get a W. And um, who would have thought this? Like, when they lost to Villanova a couple weeks ago, it felt like, and I think Xavier fans, and and rightfully so, were like, ah, damn. Ah, that's it. That's it. We're going to be second to Villanova again. No, not so fast. Not so fast there. Put the brakes on that. Here's Chris Mack following a huge win and newly, hey, Big E's champion coach, Chris Mack. Here he is.
2: Well, it goes without saying I'm really happy for uh, our entire group, but specifically the seniors, you know, they came in and and, uh, been a great group and a fun group to work with and, you know, I think uh, it's hard. It's hard to do uh, what what our team just did and uh, we we still want to finish the job. You know, we want to be better on Saturday than we were today and uh, and we're going to need to be uh, but, um, when you play Ed's team, they're, they're really um, they're really gonna fight you. They're gonna play hard. They're gonna they're gonna scrap. Uh, they're gonna claw. They're gonna figure out a way to make, to muddy the game up and and compete for 40 minutes. And and we knew that, but um, you, know, you, you you feel that that pressure uh, of of wanting to get what you worked so hard for. So it's not gonna come easy, and and it hasn't. So uh, I'm really happy for our seniors. It was really cool to watch those guys go up on the ladder and cut the nets and, you know, think back to when I recruited them and when they were in my office and, um, you know, to, to see them, you know, become Big East champions is something that they'll never forget, you know, when they're my age and I'm in to box somewhere eight feet under, six feet under, they'll uh, they'll always be able to, to, to think back to not only tonight but all the memories they had playing with a great group of guys and like I said to them, we, we got a lot more to do. Uh, we had a great team a couple of years ago and ended quickly, so uh, I don't want anybody to think that you know we're, we're by any means satisfied.
1: Yeah, and I, I hope not. We heard from Pat Brennan last hour, covers the Musketeers for the Enquirer, and he was in their practice. He said it was intense. So intense practice for the Big East champs. Look, the, the Musketeers, sky's the limit for them. Like, let's be honest. they're They're third in the country for a reason. They can fill it up. They got four guys, and really more than – Honestly, they got like five or six guys that if you need a bucket, they can get it. And when you got that and you, you have a coach like Chris Mack and the senior leadership and, and the potential, definitely the professional basketball talent that's on that team, potential NBA talent, it, it's just a, a no-brainer for me. They're certainly one of the best teams in the country. And a win away, a win against DePaul away from being the Kings, of the Big East. Let's switch gears. Let's look at the Bearcats for a couple minutes. They're looking to do the same thing: is win their conference championship. The American Athletic Conference. They're in first place. Mick Cronin's squad goes up against Tulane tonight. Here's Mick Cronin. By the way, you can hear that game on News Radio 700 WLW. A pregame show starts at 8:30. Nine o'clock is tip off. And here's Mick Cronin on what it would mean for the program to win the American Athletic Conference.
6: So it would be great for us. Be great for us. Now, obviously, there's a lot more basketball to be played. So, whether you, whether we win Thursday and we're able to clinch a share, we're you know we're still you're still good, trying to point towards March and get better. But it's a great accomplishment. It's a hard accomplishment, really hard. That's Mick
1: Cronin. and yes, it is, and that's why I Xavier, UC, Nku, all of them, either winning or potentially winning their conference. If you're a fan of any of those schools and you win the league, enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. If it happens tonight and UC gets a, a share of that, if it happens on Sunday and they clinch an outright title, I'm going to enjoy it. Yesterday I loved watching Trayvon Blewett and J.P. McCura and Sean O'Mara and Karim Cantor, the seniors for the Musketeers, walk off the court knowing that they were Big East champs, knowing that it was senior night, knowing that they were winning in the Centa Center. I mean, O'Mara, Blewett, and Makura, they've been such a huge part of the program. Rick Broering talked about it yesterday on the show, how important they've been with the transition to the Big East, with that. And I, I asked Rick, and, and you can listen to this. It's at ESPN1530.com and the iHeartRadio app. I asked him if Trayvon Blewett might be the best Musketeer ever, the greatest Musketeer ever. And you could make that argument. So... To me, you're watching a team in Xavier, a team in UC, two coaches that who knows what happens after this year, and Mick Cronin and Chris Mack. Enjoy this. Because here's what I do know guaranteed, regardless, next year, UC is going to be out out, without, excuse me, Gary Clark, without Kyle Washington. Xavier's going to be without Trayvon Blewett. Xavier's going to be without J.P. McCure. Without Sean O'Meara, without Karim Cantor, who I know he's only played one year and he's a transfer, but man, he's played well this year. So the programs are going to look a lot different, not, not the program, but the teams, the rosters, they're going to look a lot different and there's going to be a transition and the styles are different. And are they in good hands as far as long as Mick Cronin and Chris Mack are there? Absolutely. Absolutely. And And last hour, I talked about an email that was complaining about Mick Cronin and, I got a tweet here that said that uh, Mick Cronin is pretty much like Marvin Lewis. He, he's the same guy. Underachieves when it when it counts the most. And I would disagree completely. How many times has Mick Cronin really had a team that underachieved? Like you think they underachieved last year when they lost to UCLA? You kidding me? Did you did you watch the game? They underachieved because they lost to UCLA. Like that's the thing is context matters. Context matters. So I don't know how far Xavier's going to go or UC's going to go. But what I do know is that I'm going to enjoy the ride. Both of them. I'm one of the rare fans. I'm a UC alum. I root for both. I root for both. And so UC, Xavier, I want both of them to go to the Final Four and play each other. And, and UC fans hate me for it. And mostly Xavier fans are okay with it because they, they get that I'm a UC alum. And I think they just appreciate that I'm that I'm okay in their corner as well. <laughs> Um, I'm James Rapine in for Mo. Okay, I'm James Rapine in for Mo. I was checking to make sure we had the Sean Miller audio because if you're just joining us, you've been in the office all day, you, don't, you haven't heard this. So the report came out late Friday, early Saturday last week that Arizona head coach Sean Miller was involved.
4: With Lucky Land slots. you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: And the FBI had a wiretap, had audio of Sean Miller basically talking about a payment that would go to DeAndre Ayton, who was a number one uh, or top prospect, could be the number one pick in the NBA draft, averaging 20 a game for Arizona. And Sean hasn't coached since that report came out, has been away from the team. He came out today and he had, uh, well, let's just call this a very direct to the point denial. Here's Sean Miller.
3: I have never paid a recruiter prospect or their family or representative to come to Arizona. I never have and I never will. I have never arranged or directed payment or any improper benefits to a recruit or prospect or their family or representative and I never will. I also understand that there is an ongoing federal investigation and because of this I cannot do anything that might compromise the integrity of this investigation. However, on this point, I cannot remain silent in light of media reports that have impugned the reputation of me, the university, and sullied the name of a tremendous young man, DeAndre Ayton. Let me be very, very clear. I have never discussed with Christian Dawkins paying DeAndre Ayton to attend the University of Arizona. In fact, I never even met or spoke to Christian Dawkins until after DeAndre publicly announced that he was coming to our school. Any reporting to the contrary is inaccurate, false and defamatory. I'm outraged by the media statements that have been made in the acceptance by many that these statements were true. There was no such conversation. How about that?
1: Sean Miller coming out, denying it completely. He will coach tonight for Arizona. And I'm looking here at a Sports Illustrated. I'll just read you to the headline. Sean Miller's statement takes fight to ESPN is a lawsuit, the next step. And I'm reading... Reading part of this. And yesterday, I talked about this. um, I opened uh, Cincy 360 with it. This probe and these allegations and all this stuff, and it's he said, she said, and report here and report there. And a lot of people reacted to that. And like Sean Miller said, came down hard on Sean Miller. He should be out of the game. He's a cheater. He's this, he's that. Heck, I got Xavier haters and UC fans. I assume they're UC fans. They were like, oh, see, Sean Miller, former Xavier coach, is a cheater. So the program is off. It was just crazy. Yes, I took those calls on Saturday night on WLW. And we can't do that with this probe. Like, there's always going to be that small Twitter egg or someone like that doing it. But take a breath and react when information comes down. But don't shoot from the hip with it. Wait for all of the info. We don't have all the info. Do I know Sean Miller cheated? I have no idea. Do I know he made that payment? I have no idea. Do I believe his denial? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I wouldn't be shocked either way. Do I think stuff happens in, in college basketball that's that's wrong and payments are made? Absolutely. I think that's a fact. But is it fact that Sean Miller made that mistake? I have no idea. Do you really think he would be on the line? Like That would be such a silly thing. I was listening to um, a former... Number one prospect in the country, uh, Brandon Wright, and he plays for the the, the Rockets. And he was on a uh, I'm trying to think of what uh, it was a podcast I was listening to last night, and he was talking about all the players. He said probably 70 to 80 percent of college basketball players get a, get some kind of handshake money. He said 40 to 50 percent get real big time money, but coaches usually don't know it or say they don't want to know about it, and they're not involved in it. And so I, it's hard for me to imagine Sean Miller's on the phone like, yeah, get, the, get him the money. Get him the payment. And in this report, the headline with Sports Illustrated, it doesn't sound like they have audio of Miller himself doing it. So it, there's just going to be report after report with this stuff. My advice for all of college basketball fans, wait for all the info because who knows what happens? Who knows what's going to change? It's like, it's like the game of telephone. It's like a high school rumor. You know how quick those things change? How, how quick? E- even a workplace rumor. Screw the, the, the Hawaii school thing. That happens in the workplace, too. Rumors evolve and change and go all sort of directions. This FBI probe in college hoops, it's going to do the exact same thing. I'm James Rapine. In for Mo, this is ESPN 1530. We'll get to some calls. We'll have some time at 513-749-1530 and 866-702-3776. But up next, Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Gonna join me to talk Bengals, talk the combined, combined, combine, the NFL combine, no D, and more. Thank you for tuning in today. Joe, next on ESPN 1530. It's 521. I'm James Erpine. Infirmo. This is ESPN 1530. Great to have you in. Done a lot of college hoops today. We've done a little reds as well, a little Bengals, but not much. And let's let's get a little more football in with the combine. Going on right now, the NFL Combine in the Bengals with 11 draft picks. Let's welcome in Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. And Joe, I appreciate the time, man. How's uh, how's everything going? This is your time of year, the Combine.
12: Yeah, it's so much fun, isn't it? Watching everyone <laughs> freak out about a tenth of a second or a quarter of an
1: inch. <laughs> and that that's a, a perfect uh, segue, a perfect starting off, jumping off point here. How important is that? Like if you see a a hand size and it's a little smaller for a quarterback or uh, some kind of measurement, a linebacker's six foot instead of six foot one or anything like that, how important are measurements, uh, especially when you look at the different positions?
12: They're actually very important. Um, And if you think of how the combine started, it was a chance to get every prospect together together uh, and allow doctors to to look them over and you know look at their bodies, look how healthy they are, do they have any past injuries how how do those look going forward? any long term effects uh, teams should be aware of and while you have every player there, they thought, well, why don't we put them through standardized measurements and testing so that we can get accurate numbers while everyone's on the same uh, level playing field and because of it, you have years worth of data to look at and you may say, well, it doesn't matter if that guy runs a 4.8 because he doesn't win with speed or he doesn't have to be that fast or so there's been slow guys that have been successful before. This is true, but the idea of the combine is to eliminate risk and to look at the outliers. If a guy is supposed to be 6.1 and he measures that six, six foot and a half, that, that's okay. There's no difference there. It's just uh, now you have a more accurate number. But if a guy was supposed to have uh, 10 inch hands or 34 inch arms, and now he has 9 inch hands and 32 inch arms, which now puts him between a guy who was an offensive tackle, to now he measures like an offensive guard. Well, that changes things because you may say, well, you you know, he can be a good player without those long arms. He can, but a lot of guys fail with the short arms. There, there's NFL players are freaks, athletically and size-wise. The average guy, the average quarterback that's 5'11 doesn't make it into the NFL doesn't make it as a starter but the average guy that's 6'2 does and it doesn't it's not that the height makes the difference it's not that the hand size makes the difference it just allows you to take the guy who has the most mathematical chance of succeeding in the NFL and that is the guy that fits through parameters and filters that you may place at whatever you feel is important for the position like for the Bengals they like the bench press for offensive linemen. They like 40-yard dash times. It seems they like the 20-yard short shuttle, too, based on my, uh, my look recently. So look for those numbers and look for guys that really stand out in, in, in those drills. And if they do, the best players in the league are not always big, but they usually are athletic. So that you want these guys to pass those filters and, and be on the upper tier athlete.
1: Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is our guest. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, looking at the measurements, and I saw some of the measurements coming down, and obviously there's some bench presses now, and they're starting to get into some workouts. What stands out to you? Are there any players that Bengals fans should be aware of that stand out based on measurements or different things that you've seen today?
12: Yeah, yesterday for, for the offensive linemen, they showed up and they, they got their hands measured, their arms measured, uh, everything like that. The, the one concern was Connor Williams from Texas Everyone wanted to be sure he had long enough arms. He kind of looks like a guard at times when you watch him on tape, especially in the 2017 tape. That was much worse than previous years before his injury. And it kind of made you wonder, is he an interior player? Well, he showed up and he had 33-inch arms, which is the bare minimum for what you want an offensive tackle. You like 34-inch arms. You want him to have that reach against defensive ends that are going to be 6'5", 6'6", 6'7". If he doesn't test very well athletically, he may be a guard. And if he is, that knocks him down from a top 15 pick. I think at that point he's probably going 15 to 25. So, uh, so far, uh, a rough start for him. He measured a little bit lighter also than what, what we expected. Uh, I would say Orlando Brown, the offensive tackle, another guy we're going to hear a lot from the members at 12. He's 6'8", 345, crazy long arms and big hands, and, and he looks strong, and he looks strong on tape. He bench presses 14 times today, and that's a concern. Yes, long arms hurts your your ability to bench press, but at the same time, no offensive lineman, especially tackle, has benched under 20 and gone in the first round at, at the at the combine. Andre Smith did 19 at his pro day and was still able to be drafted six overall by the Bengals. But 19 being you know being the filter being 20, that you can look past that one rep. 14 is wide receiver numbers, and it really concerns you, and it'll make you want to go back to the tape, and more than anything, it'll make you want to contact his coaches and players that know him and say, is he a worker? Is he a guy, is he putting in the work right now while he's down and while he's off? Uh, it's concerning. And then on the opposite end, um, Will Hernandez, a guard from UTEP, who looks like a power uh, run blocker guard, he puts up 37 reps, and I know that's going to catch the Bengals' attention. They've, they've loved it. If you look at third-pass drafts, Uh, bench reps are big for them. And then Quentin Nelson, who is hands down the best offensive lineman in the draft from Notre Dame, he measures like an offensive tackle. Uh, Duke Tobin even said he might even be able to play offensive tackle. He said he can play all five positions. I don't think it's crazy. I think he's going to ace the combine, and he already has from measurements to 35 uh, reps uh, on the bench press. I think he's maybe the best player in in the entire draft, and there's a chance he can make it to the eighth, ninth, tenth pick. I'd be surprised if, he did, if he's there at 12, but I think he's so good and the gap is only getting larger between him and the top tackles in this draft that you might consider a, a third-round pick to move up a little bit. I, I just think he's that good, and so far he's got a great start to the Combine weekend.
1: Yeah, that, that's the thing, and, and Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is our guest. James Erpine in for Mo today on ESPN 1530. If, if it is that, if it is the difference between a third-round pick and, and getting Orlando Brown or Quentin Nelson – it's not even close to me. <laughs> like, you, you have to do that, especially when you're looking at a Bengals team. They, they have 11 picks this year. They're not going to be able to add 11 players. Why not use the, those extra picks if they need to to get the quality? I think it's quality and free agency, quality in the draft over quantity when you're looking at this Bengals team. They're not rebuilding. They say they're not rebuilding. They're keeping their core there, but they need to add guys who can help. And I, I think Quentin Nelson, he would be the dream, Joe. He would be the dream. And let me give you a
12: scenario. I hate to take uh, positive light in somebody who's had an injury, but Billy Price, the center from yeah. Ohio State, Agreed. it sounds like he may have tore his pec uh, while doing the bench reps. It's going He was probably a early second-round pick, as it was. It's going to knock him back. If he has to start the year on the pup list or maybe just barely be ready by September, maybe late August, uh, it's going to knock him down. I think he could probably be a third-round pick at this point. And if you're saying um, – you know, I have to give up uh, a second or a third or whatever the case may be to get maybe the best player in the draft in Nelson. And if you can come back, they have two third-round picks, and if they can get in position to get Price, say you walk away from the draft uh, with Nelson and Price oh, with, your, with two out of your first three picks or however it shakes out, but yeah. in the first, the first two days, I would say your interior of your offensive line and you, it goes from a weakness, uh, something that was a detriment to the team all year, to a strength and one of the better units in the NFL. And for a team that probably doesn't rebuild their offensive line in one draft or one offseason, you'd have to think solidifying the inside core unit with Clint Bowling, Billy Price, and Clinton Nelson would be a dream scenario and a dream outcome at the cost of giving up a premium pick. I understand that. But you're right. They have 11 picks. Uh, and I think this this class is really good, especially for offensive line. You're going to find starters in the third and fourth round in the interior offensive line at Garden Center. Uh, I think it's worth it to give up maybe one of those premium day two picks to move up if, if that was you know something that intrigued them.
1: It would certainly be interesting. James Rapine in for Mo, Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is our guest. A lot of people looking at the quarterback position for better or worse. That The Bengals have a need at quarterback, whether it's mid, late round pick. It could be an early pick. Some fans feel that way. As far as the quarterbacks go, and I know you, I've asked you about that, but they they got their hand size measured. Is there any red flags there? Is there anything quarterback-wise that, that has changed on your board? And, and how do you feel about the top guys?
12: No, I think everybody passed the filters, to be honest. Uh, there wasn't somebody like a Jared Goff a couple years ago coming through with nine-inch hands. Everyone seemed to have at least nine and three-eighths, nine and a quarter, nine and a half, which is good. Uh, you'd like – the nine and a half being the average uh, for combine participants, you'd like to get to that mark, but it's getting anything over nine and some change is fine. And uh, I, I think guys like somehow Baker Mayfield grew uh, a, a you know a tenth of an inch since the Senior Bowl in his measuring. Sometimes that happens. I think it just helps him a little bit. Uh, but we already knew his, his measurements from the Senior Bowl. Lamar Jackson was the guy. I think everyone's talking about because there was a chance he would show up at maybe one and 205 pounds. And I think at that size, uh, durability is a concern. Instead, he showed up at 6'2 and 216 pounds with 9.5-inch nine, nine hands, the exact measurements of Andy Dalton when yeah. he came out. And we've had no concern with Andy, Andy Dalton's durability. If anything, that's one of his strengths. It makes you want to go back and watch Jackson. And Jackson only missed one game out of 39 in his collegiate career. Um, Maybe he's not fragile, and I never thought he was. But, you know, that you keep hearing these things, and, and the, the, he's going to tear it up. I can't wait for the drills and, and, and the <laughs> 40 for him because I think the over-under on some betting sites are, is four, uh, 4.35 for him. That's crazy if he gets anywhere near that at quarterback. I, I think he's just fine overall, and uh, I, I'm honestly personally rooting for him, and that doesn't mean the Bengals have to take him at 12, but uh, that would be something.
1: It would be. I don't think it happened. Speaking of that, Joe, and I I think you'll remember this from earlier today, we had a a Twitter interaction where it was like, let me call in and talk about Lamar Jackson. Well, William did, so we're going to take a call together, Joe, if that's okay. Is that cool with you?
12: That sounds great, yeah. All
1: right, let's let's talk to William in Virginia. William, you're on ESPN 1530. Hey, what's up, guys? How y'all doing? Good, man. How are you? I can't complain. What are your thoughts on Lamar Jackson? I assume that's why you're calling.
11: Uh, yeah, uh, so Joe and I have gone back and forth uh, recently over the past couple of months. We uh, Not too much, but we've re- uh, communicated with each other about Lamar Jackson. Um, he seems pretty high on him, but uh, obviously I don't feel the same way. Uh, they were discussing, early, I don't know if it was you and him or him and somebody else, but they were discussing about the possibility of if four of their key players weren't there at 12, how exciting it would be to take them at 12.
8: Mm-hmm.
11: But I- I'm here to tell you, if Cincinnati were to do that, it would completely push them back. I mean, years, because Marvin Lewis is in a win-now situation. You can't take a quarterback at all at number 12 in the first round. Uh, With that being said, he has to win now. He has to win this season, and he knows that because he came back uh, recently after there were reports that he was going to leave. So you have to roll with Andy. And if you bring in a quarterback at all, whether it's Lamar Jackson or maybe it's a guy that you do believe in, there's going to be a quarterback controversy. And that is a recipe for disaster in the National Football League. And you cannot have that right now at all, especially in this critical year that Marvin Lewis is going in. Secondly, Lamar Jackson. History shows us dual-threat quarterbacks do not survive in the National Football League. If I was in college, if I was a college scout, if I was a college head coach, hands down, give me Lamar Jackson over the majority of these quarterbacks. But going in at the next level where the speed picks up and more goes into it, you cannot trust these dual-threat quarterbacks. You have to go with one of these guys that's a pocket passer. Lamar Jackson, this past season at Louisville, rushed for 1,600 yards. Mm
8: -hmm.
11: What does that show? That he's a great, dynamic athlete. Yes, I agree with that 100%. But what does that also show? His running game set up his passing game. And at the next level, you cannot get away with that. It does not work.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chibot is arguably,
11: you could argue, agree with this or not, he was arguably not just one of the greatest quarterbacks, greatest college players to ever play, and he couldn't even transition to the National Football League with that dual-threat style. Gotcha. And very, you, you, rarely you have guys like Ken Newton that can do it, but I mean, again, you were talking about the measurements earlier. And, I mean, I think I just looked up, he was 6'5", 245 pounds going into the draft. I mean, he's a freak. Cam Newton's a once-in-a-lifetime generational player. You probably never – we might not have ever you
5: know, got like Cam
11: Newton again. Gotcha. So, with all that being said, you cannot bring that guy in at number 12.
1: Gotcha. William, I appreciate the call. That's William in Virginia. All right, so that's interesting, Joe. Now I want to react to it. We gave him two and a half minutes. couple things. When's the last time the Bengals got huge contributions from the, their first-round pick anyways?
12: <laughs> it's been a long time uh, the last i want to say four uh first round picks have only averaged about 65 snaps as rookies so we should almost expect these guys are going to develop for that first year and fit that first year now i do believe with the uh, with the holes on the offensive line if that's the pick those guys are playing uh regardless of, of what you think of the prospect so that's the only scenario i can see where you can say this guy's going to play 800 at least snaps but I think, you know, we've been accustomed to these guys sitting that first year, and I think that's exactly what you would like for a quarterback.
1: Yeah, and the, the other, there, there's a couple things there. It's interesting, Marvin's in win now mode. If they are, then they'll be active in free agency. Like, I know right. we, we talked Quentin Nelson in, in addressing the line, but even Quentin Nelson, like, that, that's fine. You add him or you add a lineman with the 12th pick or a Billy Price or whoever you want to add. I also want to go get veterans that know how to play that can help them right now. And, and and that's why, if I'm them this offseason, that's how I address their needs—not necessarily just the draft.
12: And Instead, they have been in win-now mode the last seven years, really yeah. eight, six years, really. And so they haven't really attacked free agency to to make you believe they're they're in that mode. Uh, I think a lot of fans believe they were because they were, had success and because the roster was really good, as we've seen the last two years. The roster has fallen off, and they haven't made the necessary moves, and they haven't put the emphasis. Maybe they did what John lost by filling a need, and they thought he was going to play. It didn't work out that way. But well, William Jackson was a definite depth and development pick. Uh, so, you know, I, I can't say that just because they're in win-now no, win mode in, in because it feels different this year. Uh, that, that means that first-round pick is definitely going to play more. Uh, I think he's going to play if it's a position of, of need and if, it's, uh, if he's a better player than the guy in front of him. I think at the end of the day, quarterback is still the most important position on the team. If you're in a win-now mode or if the, if that window reopens, because let's be honest, that window is not open right now, not, not with the way the current roster is built. If that window opens in 2019 or 20, you're going to be glad to have a 23-year-old quarterback rather than a 33-year-old
1: quarterback. Joe, uh, last question for Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Uh, as far as Lamar Jackson goes, he mentioned Tim Tebow. I think Lamar's – call me crazy if you want, but I think Lamar's the better athlete. I think he throws the ball better than Tebow ever did. To me, it, it, that, that's not really a good comparison. I do think he could survive in the NFL. Maybe I'm crazy, but I do. He,
12: I, I like the point because dual-threat quarterback a lot of times scares people because sure. we think they run first. And I don't feel that when you watch Jackson at all. Uh, I think Jackson is a very good passer i i, I don 't think he 's perfect at all, but I think in terms of if he, he wasn 't a runner and he was just a, uh, a a you know an average athlete quarterback he 'd probably still be a second round pick i think his, his athleticism is a plus it should never be used as a negative for him because he doesn't rely on it to Take off when when a guy isn't open, he buys time in the pocket, he goes through multiple reads, uh, a lot of their plays on their offense are very uh, advanced, and NFL teams are running a lot of the same plays, especially now the way the NFL is evolving uh, there yeah Look, two years ago, and he had more running attempts than he did completions, so there is some concern there but Louisville used it because he was such a weapon. They didn't use it because he couldn't throw. He can throw. He's a very good thrower. I think Thibault is a bad comparison. I think the Vic comparison works, but the way quarterbacks were developed in 2001 uh, compared to where they're developed in 2017, 2018, I think is, is light years ahead, and I think the game is more ready to handle those guys than it was for Vic. They had Vic coming out of... Uh, out of under center with play action passes, and they really didn't know how to use them. It took a few years for him to really get in a stride, and even then, he was never a touch thrower. I think Jackson shows that stuff, and I think the offense in today's NFL allows him to succeed earlier and more often.
1: Make sure you check out Joe's work at The Athletic on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Joe, as always, man, I appreciate the time.
12: Thanks for having me, James.
1: Good stuff there. You can subscribe to The Athletic. There's a link to it on Joe's Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Good stuff. That went longer than I wanted to, but I thought that was cool. We took a, a call to discuss that and uh, a little Bengals. So we've done two Bengals segments today. Let's switch it up. Let's go back to college hoops before we close up shop. I'm James Erpine in This is ESPN 1530. It's 543. I'm James Erpine in This is ESPN 1530. We have NKU. They've won the Horizon League Championship. Xavier clinched a share of the Big East t- Championship, and they can win it outright with a win over Paul on Saturday, and you see, well, they're looking to clinch a share of the American Athletic Conference Championship. How do they do that? They win tonight, and my message to all of you is to enjoy the ride, enjoy it. If that happens tonight, I'm going to, to have a toast, I'm going to enjoy the American Athletic Conference Championship or the Big East Championship or whatever championship. If your team's winning championships, it's a good thing. Think about it. We have the Bengals. We have the Reds. They're down right now. College Hoops in this area, not down. So let's enjoy the ride. And Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com, joined me earlier in the show. And this entire thing is podcasted at ESPN1530.com and the iHeartRadio app. And I asked Chad, or I said, well, I pretty much told him, hey, man, if they win tonight, I'm going to enjoy it.
7: You know, it, it's funny, James. People love to move the the goalposts, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody before well, wins some more league titles. You win some more league titles. So they're in a position to win a league title. And now it's, well, it does, that, doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's just what they do in the tournament. Like, people are, are now incapable of enjoying anything. So... It's not surprising that we've seen it devalued and everybody's focus is on March, but you have to think for Gary Clark and Kyle Washington, you know, Jacob Evans, those guys have been around a while. They want to win a league championship, and this is their chance to do it. So go out and take care of business, and it might not matter to, you know, the the average fan, but there's a lot of people that that are all in on the basketball program and want to see them go ahead and get, you know, at, at worst, a share of this thing.
1: Chad Brendel, com is our guest. James Ruffin in from And Mick Cronin compared, or, or, or at least, uh, I, I don't want to say compared, but he discussed Jaron Cumberland's progression and, and what he's done and how he's improved from year one to year two. I know you were really high on Jaron coming into the year. Uh, are, are you on board with what Mick said?
13: I mean th- –
7: To the point that he said it, yeah, because, I mean, his floor game is exponentially better this year. And Jaron is a guy that if you saw him in high school, everybody that saw him wondered, how is this kid going to play defense at the highest level? And not only has he been serviceable, he's been very good defensively. Um, So that's one aspect that it allows you to keep him on the floor longer. You're not having to go offense, defense to get him in and out of the game um he 's really come a long way there uh, he 's cut down some on the charges, I and mean, even now the ones that are called are like, Are you kidding me? Um, most of them are bad so in terms of his development it 's come a long way now we need to see him shoot from now through March like he did against Tulsa. If he can add the three point shot a consistent you know forty percent three point shot to everything else he 's doing well. This team becomes exponentially more dangerous when you pair him with Evans and Clark and Washington, and now Kane Broom is starting to come on. All that talk of having five guys that can score on the floor now is starting to become very much a reality as we get to the end of the season.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Kane Broom, and he had—I uh, think he has 44 points in his last three games, so he, he is coming on. What uh, what changed? Because I know Mick talked about practice habits and work ethic. But is it just he made the adjustment and is now finally catching on and in, in, in being what everyone expected him to be early, but it's different when you have to play defense all the time and adjust to Mick Cronin and adjust to, to the level that they're at and uh, that this UC team is at?
7: Well, I mean, not to take anything away from where he was at before, but that level of basketball is not high-level basketball. Sure. You know, he was able – he was quicker and faster and – and more smooth with the basketball than everyone he was playing against in that league when he was at Sacred Heart. And the fact that he wasn't a big physical player didn't affect him as much. He's had to learn how to impact the game at this level. And it's come slowly. Uh, You know, it, it hasn't happened as rapidly as some would maybe have liked. But I'll take it now that he's finally hitting his stride and becoming that threat from the point guard position that we anticipated that we would see maybe a little bit earlier in this year. But, you know, you want to peak when March hits. And if Kane Broom is just now really rounding into form, then you're you're peaking when March hits. And that's a very good thing for this roster.
1: Absolutely it is. I, I think it's it, it would be great if he starts, if he continues this, if Cumberland, you're right, if he can hit the outside shot. Because, and obviously the losses have been few and far between. But I think when UC has to play that half-court style, if they can bank on a Cumberland hitting a three from tossing it into to Gary Clark or Kane Broom getting out on the break or being able to to make a guy miss, so to speak, or shake a guy off and hit a jumper, that could be the difference between winning Sunday, winning in the American Athletic Conference Tournament, advancing in March, and uh, I think this UC team needs to get to that level if they're going to make the run that a lot of people hope they do.
7: Yeah, I mean, the the defense is going to be there, but... Yeah. You know, the the offense is what everybody said was going to be different about this team in terms of can they get into a game like, you know, the Tulsa game is a perfect example. If the offense didn't play well at the beginning of the Tulsa game, that was a game that could have been 47 to 32 at halftime if they had come out slow. But Tulsa was hot and, and UC was hot. So they matched them shot for shot until they got into the second half and they were able to start getting some more stops. And then the offense continued playing well and the defense tightened up. And next thing you know, you win, not comfortably, but at least, you know, you're able to not be in a situation uh, where the the game is very much in doubt with, you know, 90 seconds left on the clock. Uh, The other big thing about Kane Broom, he's hitting almost 43% from three. And everybody thinks of him as, you know, a guy in transition, a guy that attacks, but especially like offensive rebounds, the ball finds its way back to him. His three-point look when he's open from the top of the key is, is pretty money. And, you know, that's a weapon as they continue to move forward. You've now, now you've got Evans and Cumberland shooting well on the wings. And if you've got a point guard that shoots it well, now a defense is fully stretched out and that gives more room for Gary Clark and Kyle Washington to operate. So um, yeah just offensively when they're clicking it, it, it makes them a completely different animal
1: Chad Brendel com is our guest looking looking ahead a little bit because we're not going to talk between now and Sunday is it is it realistic to think oh they're going to go to Kansas take on Wichita State and get it done
7: I feel pretty good about it I don't know why I, I just have a good feeling that you know, the the interesting thing about that first game is conference games, generally, you know all the tendencies of your opponent before the game starts. Mm-hmm. Those two teams didn't know anything about each other. And Wichita State played really well offensively. I have to think, with some time to digest that game tape and some time to go through what they want to do, that Cincinnati is going to be able to come up with a plan to slow down that offense a little bit more than what we saw in that initial game they've got so much on the line. You've got a chance to win that conference title outright and get the one seed. (sighs) I I hate being overconfident about something like that, but for some reason, I just feel like the veteran leadership on this team is going to, going to have, find out a way to get that job done uh, at Wichita in the return game. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I end up looking bad for that, but, um, I have faith in, in Gary and Kyle and the leadership of this team, so I, I think they're going to have a very good chance. Now they got to go and execute. It's a, you know, it's going to be 11 a.m. Uh, in Kansas for that tip-off on CBS. So awkward tip time, but I think they can do it.
1: Yeah, I, I I feel the same way you do. I just don't think, and I can't see a scenario. And maybe it's it's stupid of me to, and maybe it's me just being a homer, where UC drops both games to Wichita State. I just. To, to me, I totally understood the split, and they, they dropped one, obviously, at home. So I think UC gets them back. I just think that that's the natural thing with with two teams that I think UC might be a little better than, but overall they're really good, both teams. Yeah,
7: I mean, I think the thing I take away from that is, James, I, I didn't feel UC played well really at all in that game. Agreed. And it was a two-point game in the final second, yeah. So if they play well, I think they very much got a chance to win that game, and then Wichita – Data has shown that they're a little vulnerable. Uh, They just beat Tulane by uh, what six points in that place, yeah. And they've lost, you know, they they've lost a couple a game or two there this year. So I I don't know. I I just like their chances for some reason. And I usually am not, you know, talking to me over the year. uh, There are games where I don't feel good about, and Mm -hmm. I make that clear. This one, for some reason, I feel pretty good about. Now it's only Thursday. You might call me Sunday, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's you might feel different about it tonight. Hopefully not. Um, he's, right. Ch- he's Chad exactly. Brendel, BearcatJournal.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Chad Brendel. Chad, I have to ask you, and Sean Miller, I, I played the audio earlier in the hour, denies it. But what are your thoughts on this whole thing with Arizona, where he knew about money that went to DeAndre Ayton, didn't know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera?
7: Um, I think if you, there's, there was an article and I don't know if you've seen it, that was produced by 24 seven sports that, that talked about the timeline, not matching up. Yeah. Um, that's what I know of this situation. I, here's my question, James, like when, when the initial FBI reports, when all that stuff came out, right. Yeah. Um, we saw transcripts of those wiretaps. We saw player one and team six and. You know, everything was detailed and labeled. Why haven't we seen that from ESPN? From what I've heard, uh, Mark Schleyball never heard the wiretapped and never had the transcript. And, and two, when they, I know they've gone back, they've corrected themselves three times already on this story. I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah. Did you know ESPN has a corrections page I that know. nobody knows about?
1: I saw that. I didn't know about it until this week. And you're right. That, that's what, that's the red flag to me is that, that they got the timeline wrong and they initiate, uh, initiated multiple or, or made multiple corrections or retractions in their piece. So if that happens, well, Sean Miller's denying it like crazy. I think there's at least some holes in the report.
7: Well, here's, here's another thing that you talked about the seedy underbelly of the college basketball world. Generally, most people know the person that is running the show for the main recruits. They know that this kid is attached to this AAU coach or, you know, this is their guy. Christian Dawkins had no involvement with DeAndre Ayton. It, it, you know, if, if if you're looking for a payment to, to land DeAndre Ayton, you would absolutely not have been talking to Christian Dawkins. So that's the part that doesn't make you know really any sense. It, it, the whole timeline is off. Nothing really, nothing really adds up. And and I I fully expected Sean to come out today and 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 act with the bravado and defiance that he had because. ESPN has quite a bit on Arizona and their program, obviously, with the arrest of Book Richardson.
8: Mm-hmm.
7: None of it pointed to Christian Dawkins being involved with DeAndre Ayton, and now all of a sudden, you know, Mark Schleyball is going to run with it. I, personally, what I think, I think Yahoo was was kicking ESPN's tail on this story.
8: Oh, okay.
7: And ESPN felt like they had to have something. Maybe Schleyball thought he had something that was foolproof but it wasn't and i don't think this is going to turn out well for espn now do i think sean miller is clean i i I don't know you know there's plenty out there
0: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clap a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18+. Says that there was a lot going on in
7: Arizona. I don't think Sean Miller talked to Christian Dawkins about $100,000 for DeAndre Ayton. That's just, from what I know of the story, that's what I've heard. And um, if that is the case, it is going to cost the ESPN legal team quite a bit of money to make this go away.
1: That's Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com. I'm James Rapine. That's going to do it for us here at ESPN 1530. I'll be back at it tomorrow with Cincy 360. We'll do some Reds. We'll do some Bengals with Rocky Boyman, who's in for Mo at noon, Cincy 360. Bearcats play tonight down the hall. You can listen to that with Dan Hor, Terry Nelson, News Radio 700 WLW, podcast of Chad Brendel, Pat Brennan, Joe Goodberry. Well, they're up now, ESPN1530.com, and also the iHeartRadio app. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. Good luck to the Bearcats. Hopefully we can make it three league titles for uh, NKU, Xavier, and then UC can join those two. I'm James Erpine. Thank you so much for listening. Until tomorrow, this is ESPN 1530.
13: If you're a UC fan, subscribe to BearcatJournal.com. Chad Brendel runs that website. He's on Twitter, at Chad Brendel. Uh, The reaction to what happened last week, lost to Houston, lost to Wichita State at home. There's panic and there's concern. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle.
7: Where are you? Well, I mean, I think you have to be concerned because they've, they've played six high-level games and they've lost four. So, I mean, there has to be some level of what is this team going to give us in, in March. Um, but ultimately what it comes down to is if you play really good teams and, and you shoot poorly and you don't make baskets – you're probably going to lose. It doesn't matter how good your defense is. And that's been the case in all four losses. They're under 30% from three and under 45% from the field in those four games. You're putting yourself at a massive disadvantage and putting yourself in a hole if you can't make shots. And especially when in late in both of those games, Houston made a couple shots that they needed to make to extend their, their lead. And Wichita State made shots that they needed to make. And Cincinnati didn't do that. And you've got Jacob Evans and Jaron Cumberland, Kyle Washington, Gary Clark, Kane Broom. This is supposed to be a team with more offense. How about they not disappear in big games when the game is on the line?
13: Yeah, as as much as everybody's talking about uh, Kane playing more, and, and there, that's a valid argument, we'll talk about it, or him quote-unquote being unleashed. I'm, I'm looking at the Wichita State game, and I'm going, look, man, uh, Gary Clark has played four years. Kyle Washington's a— uh, A guy who's played four years of D1 college basketball. Jacob Evans is almost a senior and and a guy who has designs on playing in the NBA like those three. And there's there's other culprits. We can we can slide uh, Cumberland into this into the conversation as well. But I'm looking at those three guys specifically going, look, forget the bench, forget the other guys. I need to count on those players. I need those players in games like that to be better than they were. And if they're not, I don't really care what anybody else does. They're not going to beat really good teams.
7: A-, a thousand percent agree. This is their, that those three are the core of this team. They're the leadership of this team. They're the heartbeat of this team. If they don't play well, there's not a very good chance that this team is going to advance when they really get into the the hard part of March and playing elite teams. But beating up on people and, and spreading the wealth is great, but in the biggest games like in the biggest games, Landry Shamit is, is one of the best players in the American Conference. He had a fantastic game against Cincinnati. You can't look at any of those three guys, even though Evans had you know, the point total to, to look like he played well. You can't look at any of those three guys. I think you probably ask any of those three guys if they played well, and they would tell you no. That can't happen.
13: All right. So, aside from just those guys playing better, there was something about Sunday where offensively it just felt like individually no one was creative enough to get their own shot or create for someone else. Why is that the case?
7: I think with Wichita State, it is a, and, and this goes for Houston a little bit as well. It's a, it's a tough matchup because those two teams are both a little bit more traditional uh, inside. So you didn't have a guy, there's generally a guy that the Cincinnati offense can pick on with Gary Clark and Kyle Washington. That's been the advantage of having those two. You didn't have that scenario against Wichita State. And I think it took until about five to seven minutes into the second half when they started doing more dribble drive um, and starting attacking off the bounce from the perimeter where they were trying to play through the post. And you just didn't have that advantage. Those teams can play you one-on-one and, and not have to send a double, not have to send help, not have to send somebody to dig down. And I think that, at least for right now, is, is throwing a monkey wrench into the offense. Now, the bright side of that is, Mo, hopefully they now can build a counter for that because they've seen it happen. So hopefully they can say, all right, now if teams are going to be able to take away both Gary and Kyle, we can go to this that emphasizes what we can do on the perimeter. Um, but in the middle of those two games, and you could really tell, like, when Gary and Kyle caught the ball, it was at 12, 14, 15 feet. They weren't catching the ball anywhere near the rim.
13: Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com on Twitter, at Chad Brendel. So the cane-broom thing, and, and I, I, I hear and I, I, I agree to a very large extent, start em or unleash em. And to me, those two things are mutually exclusive, and and, and and I go to that, yes, I agree, but am I getting the Kane broom I saw against Wichita State? I'll sign up for that guy. Am I getting the guy that I watched the previous three games? Not that interested. What do you say to the person who's like, look, give the team to Kane, let him play 30 minutes, Justin back him up, whatever Kane does negatively, let him play through it because he'll give you more than the other guy can offensively.
7: I'd at least like to see him 25 minutes a game. I think that gives you your best opportunity to win. I don't Unlike you, I don't care if it's in a starting role or if it's coming off the bench three minutes into the game. I don't really think that makes a whole lot of difference. Um, but you need him in there more to push the tempo, to be creative, to do more things with the ball in his hand. And I think some of that also entails earning, being outwardly shown more trust from the coaching staff, which will give him hopefully confidence. And allow him to be more aggressive, to be more of the guy that we saw against Wichita State. Now, one of the things with Wichita State that you have to account for is when uh, Reeves or Frank Camp is on him, he has the ability to blow by either of those two guys at will. You know, that that's not always going to be the case. But there's definitely a matchup with Wichita State where you can exploit having Kane on the floor um, and, and use him to be the spark of your offense. I think we saw that. I'd like to see more of that.
13: Is tonight the last time that I'll ever watch Kevin Ollie coach a Connecticut team in person?
7: Yes. Well, I mean, we play them every year in the AAC tournament, so I'm sure there's some way that (laughs) that they'll find a way to play them again in the AAC tournament. I don't know where exactly they're lining up to be seated, but it doesn't seem like it matters. They always find a way to, to meet. Um, but probably yes. Uh, I can't imagine. I know they owe him, you know, what, nine or ten million dollars, um, as a reward for being the worst coach in history to win an NCAA tournament. Um, (laughs) they, they, but they have these sanctions that are looming over them now. Um, I would, if I had to guess, they find some way to maybe, where there's a settlement or UConn pushes the issue and just gets rid of him for because whatever the case may be, I can't imagine that he's back there next year. And uh, I would have to guess right now uh, it would be a very quick rebound if they were able to hire the guy that everybody's talking about for that job. Uh, which is Danny Hurley.
13: All right, so so, but like that job, it, Jim Calhoun made it great, and this sounds weird to ask because for a quarter century they were one of the best programs in college basketball, but given given the league they're in, given looming sanctions, is is that a great gig right now?
7: Great, no. Still very good. I mean, they're still, you know, that, that name still holds a heck of a lot of weight in the Northeast, which is their recruiting base. Um, if you look, Uh, And let's, uh, you know, hypothetically, if they do hire Danny Hurley, Danny Hurley's bringing some really talented kids into Rhode Island. That would most certainly get a bump if he was in stores. Um, It it just, it's not what it was in the Big East, but I still don't think it's it's a, you know, it's a second tier job. Uh, I think there would still be a lot of people that would be lining up to say, hey, give me a run at that one because they still pay well. Um, You know, they still, like I said, they still have that brand. No, they're not exactly the program that won four titles from 1999 to 2014, but those titles still hold a lot of weight, and you can throw them around to you're not – you don't have to win the Big East in the American Athletic Conference. You just got to win the American Athletic Conference, and I think UConn at the, you know – Operating the way it should be operating, should have the most talent in the league every year because of those advantages.
13: I will. Uh, I'll see you tonight. Uh, great news you tweeted about your wife today. Looking forward to talking with you about that uh, more. No,
7: I, I can't tell you the uh, the one of the, the worst feelings in my life was when the doctor told us that that she had cancer. Obviously, uh, an absolute wonderful feeling today when he said, and from all the numbers, she uh, she is officially in remission and that was uh was a good moment
13: yeah uh awesome awesome to hear uh, give her our best, and uh, that is obviously more important than anything we just spent uh, 10 minutes talking about. Good stuff. We'll see you tonight, man. Thanks very much. Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you tonight. Chad Brendel, com. Subscribe if you're a UC fan. Plenty of coverage on uh, UC basketball. We are done. We are out. I am on my way to BB&T Arena. It's UC and Connecticut tonight. Cincy 360 is tomorrow at noon, and we are back here tomorrow at uh, 3.05. Have a great night. Thanks to you for listening, and thanks to James Rapine for producing. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station.
8: Sleigh bells ring, are oh you listening?
13: ESPN 1530 on Mo Egger. We've been doing this all year long. America's best handicapper, Brandon Lang. His website is brandonlang.com. He's joined us all throughout the uh, the football season. It's it's going to be weird because typically I have you on and I ask about the Bengals. I ask you what you like this week, but I start by asking about the Thursday night game. I've got no Thursday night football tonight, Brandon, and I'm I'm going to miss it.
14: Yeah, as far as the NFL is concerned, I'm going to miss it too cuz I'm 8-0 in December in the NFL, and I knew I wanted that Thursday night game to get it to 9-0. Now I got to wait till Saturday, so but, you know, fortunate for me, we got some college bowl action Thursday, Friday, and then it's NFL Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So, you know, nice for the bowl game to give us football. I know it's not the NFL, but, hey, it's football.
13: It is football. I do want to ask about some college stuff in, in just a second. Uh, let's, let's begin with, with a game that, um, boy, you're, you're having a hard time finding many people that aren't excited about this one, Brandon. The Bengals hosting the Detroit Lions at Paul Brown Stadium. From a gambling perspective, does anything jump out about this game?
14: What do you do? I mean, you know, it's a, it's kind of a situation where you break down the Bengals and you break down what they're doing and the season's over. And, and when you look at them, can they come back home and rally and rise up and get it done? Uh, Detroit figured out a way to cover the number last week at home against Chicago. Uh, a lot of people liked the Bears in that game. I was one of them. I uh, didn't plan on Trubisky throwing, you know, 121 interceptions in that game, but it is what it is, but I've learned that the right side of a game late in the year is a team that's playing for a playoff spot and a team that's completely out of it. Marvin's out the door. I think, yeah, not a road favorite guy. You know me all year long. It's hard for me even to utter road favorite, but in this case, I just think it's the right side.
13: Yeah, I uh, I tend to agree. What else do you like with an NFL weekend that wraps around Saturday through Monday?
14: You know, there's some good situational spots. If you're going to tell me the Oakland Raiders season comes to an end, and now you've got to fly all the way across the country to play a game on Christmas when your season's over and match the Philadelphia Eagles intensity of a team that's playing for home field advantage throughout the entire NFC playoffs, I'm sorry. This Philadelphia team has won every home game by double digits with the exception of one. I want you to think about that. And when I tell you that they have just destroyed lives, they've destroyed lives. They beat the Giants by three. But other than that, they beat the Cardinals by 27, the Redskins by 10, the, the Niners by 23, the Broncos by 28, the Bears by 28. I mean, as a situation goes, you're going to tell me the Raiders who were down 26 nothing to the Chiefs in a game they needed are going to max that Eagles intensity I'm sorry, from a situational standpoint, I think I think that's a 30-point burial, and it gets ugly early. Um, the Raiders having nothing to play for. Another game I like, you know, the Jets have covered every home game this year, except for the, the Panthers, who kicked the field goal with 19 seconds to go to cover, so I technically call it a, a Jets cover, and they've won five of those outright. I know the Chargers are slim playoff hopes, but... I've ridden the Jets all year long. I'm going to ride them again here. I'm going to take the Jets plus the points. All
13: right, Brandon Lang, BrandonLang.com. You mentioned the bowl games. There's some really good ones. There's some games involving teams that I've never heard of. Uh, give me one or two as as we start to really jump into the bowl season. To jump out of. Well,
14: I'm going to go to two marquee matchups: USC and Ohio State. I just Urban Meyer can say all the right things he wants to say in the press, but at the end of the day. Uh, you went into Iowa and gave up over 50, and now you're facing Sam Darnold in USC, who's happy to be there, and you got to sit there and say, we should be in the Final Four. Um, and you're laying seven. Give me the Trojans plus the seven over Ohio State. And last but not least, I've sat back all year long, and I've watched Oklahoma. And I watched Iowa State go in there and beat them 38-31. Iowa State's offense is nowhere even near what Georgia is. They put up 38 on Oklahoma in Oklahoma. Then I sat back and watched Oklahoma State put up
8: 52.
14: And now they're playing Georgia, and people think Oklahoma's just going to go in there and roll. First of all, Georgia's defense is the best defense Oklahoma's going to see in the last five years, the speed of that defense. And secondly, the offensive line and that running game of Georgia – They're going to limit Baker Mayfield's possessions. Georgia's favorite for a reason. Love the Bulldogs, minus one and a half. All
13: right, what's happening uh, at BrandonLang.com? NFL
14: winner number nine in a row in the month of December. That will be going on Saturday. If you sign up today, you can get Saturday or Sunday free as well. One day free all-access pass. Uh, Winning month of October, November. Winning month of December. Winning year here in 2017. A great run the last 61 days. It's a good Christmas. Although I have to apologize to your listeners for the Over in Pittsburgh. Oh, that was the
13: worst. That was the worst.
14: I I handed it on a platter and Big Ben was the Grinch that stole Christmas. He decided to play a... Uh, a version of bink- a b- a Binko from The Price is Right that just bounces down and lands on zero. He killed us. He buried us. He ruined our Christmas. But I want to apologize. Please send all your inquiries to Ben Roethlisberger at Big Ben in Pittsburgh <laughs> and let him know how you feel. But one day, free all access pass. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. You have a great Christmas and New Year as
13: well. Uh, not the first time the Pittsburgh Steelers have ruined something for me. Brandon, you do the same, man. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. You got it. Thanks, bud. America's best handicapper, by the way, 3-0 and last week if they call that a catch. Or if if Ben Roethlisberger knows not to throw into traffic on a fake spike against the Patriots in the end zone. We hit the over. Anyway, BrandonLang.com. Check it out. We are done uh, for today. And this show, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, finished for the year. James Rapine will host it uh, next week uh, as I'm on vacation. Thank you so much for listening in 2017. Thanks so much to uh, James for producing this show and tolerating me in 2017. We do have Cincy 360 tomorrow at uh, 12 noon. James has that. James and I have the Christmas Day edition of Cincy 360 on Christmas Day. That's going to be recorded tomorrow, and and it's going to be a little gift for James and I. So, uh, anyway, have a a great Christmas. Be safe, and uh, Happy New Year. We'll talk to you uh, on the 2nd of January. Have a great night. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station.